Hey! This is JJ and Alex. I made a name for myself, I told you I won't be denied. As you wrap up your day, it's time to get your fix of the teams you live for and the sports you love. This is JJ and Alex, presented by G2G Bars on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Good afternoon. Happy Monday. We're happy to have you here on JJ and Alex. Mondays are hard, but we're fighting through it. You're almost there. You're almost through the work day. And we're here to help you get the, to the finish line. Jeremiah Jensen, Alex Keery, not here today. Alex will also be gone tomorrow. Tomorrow on the show, Stevenson Sylvester will join me for an hour and a half before the Jazz game starts when they're taking on the Atlanta Hawks. So that'll be fun tomorrow. But today, the focus is on the now. Focus is on the present. And in my presence is the great Mitch Harper. <laughs> you know him, you love him. BYU Insider, KSLSports.com, and you do so many more things. KSL News Radio, Cougar Sports Saturday. We'd spend an hour here talking about everything you do. Well, thank you. You're busy. We love you. You are the go-to guy for BYU coverage. If you if you love BYU and you're not following Mitch Harper, you're not consuming Mitch Harper content, you're doing it wrong. That's where you're going to find the best coverage. And I love, Mitch, how it's just you, you're, you're so professional in what you do. Like, let's be honest. There's a little bit of sometimes uh, BYU coverage in the market that's a little too sure. fanish, if you know what I mean. Yes. We need to be real. We, everybody, it, we need to know what's really going on. We need to know what the truth is. We need to look at things objectively. Because if you don't, then there's no way for the program – to get better or to you know or fans to understand what's really going on because I think the greatest problem with that and we're going to get into some BYU talk here in the segment when we start to cut but real quick as I introduce you when you get sold sunshine and rainbows all the time like it hurts your expectations and your perception of the program and the players and it makes for a negative fan experience if you understand what's really going on where things really are it actually enhances your experience because you don't have unrealistic expectations and if the team does do much better than you expected or a player does better than you expected there's a lot of joy in that but on the other side there's a lot of misery and I see sometimes it's not just BYU it's all fan bases deal with this is there's there's just this like misery when things don't work out exactly how you expect them to be that's why reporting and calling things how it is is so important well I appreciate that JJ and excited to be in here in the studio today it's our first time hosting together since you've been in the saddle here and I'm That's excited. That's crazy. It feels like we, 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 we've we we we've done we, we've been on our show. I've been on your we, show. We've done all kinds of stuff together. This is the first time you and I yes. are on a hot mic for three hours. Well we've had so many uh you know three hour nights in the in the <laughs> sports bullpen just, just you know talking sports and everything. Drive so. back from Vegas. <laughs> we've we, had adventures over the over we, the years. We have and and but with BYU and and all the uh, commentary there. I appreciate that because, yeah, just, you know, you want to give it to it straight. And I think that's what we'll be doing over the next couple hours here, talking uh, a lot of different topics with BYU, the Jazz, NFL, so much to get to because, yeah, I mean, people want to know the truth more than ever in society in all facets, whatever they're interested in. They just want to know the truth. They don't want to be sold a build of goods. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of be truth uh, that uh, we learned, truths we learned over the weekend, a lot of these teams locally. Uh, here in the market. So excited to dive into all of it with you. We got a lot to talk about today. The Jazz got a win last night. We got to see Victor Wembenyama 
He lives up to the highest. Yes, he we'll does. dig into that. Uh, we got our weekend Warriors. Uh, we're going to break down NCAA tournament projections. We're almost in March. It's time to get serious about college basketball. March is almost here. We're going to break it all down with the local teams. We got college football way too early. Conference title odds in the Big 12. As I mentioned, Jazz, NFL Blitz. We're going to have a great time here on a Monday. But let's get it started with some BYU talk. If we got Mitch Harper in studio, we got to do that. Let's begin with the cut right now. JJ and Alex. It's time for the biggest story of the day. This is what made the cut with JJ and Alex on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Now, the timing for you to be on the show, Mitch, is perfect because spring football starts this week. And the weather felt like spring this past weekend. It's not going to feel like that next weekend (laughs) and on the field when they take it uh, to the field on Friday. But spring football is here, so we can kind of really turn the page in the next season. Spring football, look, is sometimes overhyped. It is what it is, and it's great. And if you're a hardcore fan, it's interesting to follow what's going on there. The development of your depth charts, uh, position battles perhaps, um, are some guys going to leave the program? There's some new faces. Your first chance to see the new faces. So a lot to dig into. It's not actual games, but there is a lot of important things that happen in spring football. So we'll start there as you're beginning uh, your coverage of spring football on Friday. And as we look ahead to it, what are you looking forward to the most? What do you want to learn about this team during spring football? Well, it's easy to point out, JJ, but I, I think we do got to start a quarterback for BYU because that position group is such a wide open deal. You know, Kalani Sataki said a couple weeks ago that he has no idea who that starter is going to be. And, you know, look, that could be coach speak, but I tend to believe him because. I don't think he's attached to anyone in this quarterback unit right now, and he really wants to see everyone compete. You've got Jake Retzlaff, who comes back after starting four games last year. Gary Bohannon, who's a transfer from Baylor, USF. You've also got a a former Western Michigan quarterback, Trayson Borgay, who comes in as a walk-on. And then you got some freshmen and Noah Lugo, and and you've also got Ryder Burton and Kate Finnegan's a returning letterman. So there's so many guys, but what makes it so interesting about this quarterback battle is that there's no hot shot, you know, high profile recruit that feels like the next big thing. And to me, it's kind of the weakest grouping of quarterbacks that I've seen in a quarterback battle at BYU Mm. since about 2002. I went back and looked at some of the quarterback battles over the year, and that was with Brett Ingeman and Matt Barry, and that was a that was a losing tenure. And we saw how that went. And we saw how that went. And in a 16 team Big 12 where this is a much improved league when it comes to quarterback play. That position has to get right because if it doesn't give you promise, if you're Aaron Roderick and Kalani Satake, you got to go shopping in you know post spring transfer portal window, and and I think that quarterback is position is going to be analyzed with a fine comb because they need to get it right there, and if they don't. Another losing season is going to happen for BYU. You have to have great play at quarterback to win in the Big Twelve. If you have that many quarterbacks, you have none. Yeah, We all know how the saying goes. If you've got two quarterbacks, you have none. Now, if you're BYU and you've got, what, eight quarterbacks? and you, I mean, they have none right now. And well, that's the feeling I'm taking as I go in there. I can't look at one guy and say, he's the he's, I like, that's, got, that's the guy that's going to shine. He's going to stand out. You usually always have an idea. You don't know, especially when we have quarterback battles. You remember Zach Wilson? Yes. And uh, you know, there was a quarterback battle there. 
even though he was the entrenched starter because there was Jaron Hall behind him, who was a really good talent. So as good as Zach Wilson was, he was being pushed by Jaron Hall. That's a great quarterback battle. That's the kind of quarterback battle you want to have on your team. They don't have that. This is not that kind of a quarterback battle. This is a wide open, we have no idea type of battle, which concerns me greatly about BYU is they have not figured – this has got to be figured out, and it's got to be good because you're going into the Big 12 second year now where you're looking around, and BYU fans are sick of us hyping up Cam Rising in Utah, but the honest truth is Cam Rising's won two Pac-12 championships. He's a proven guy. They're ready to go. The added benefit that brings to your program right out of the gate, you cannot you cannot place enough value on that. And you know, watching BYU last year, even Keaton Slovis coming, knowing he was the starter, it still didn't materialize. So it's so important to have that position solidified, to have a guy you can trust that you know is going to perform because it impacts everything else that's going on. So you can understand why there's so much concern about this. They don't know who that guy is. It could be Gary Bohannon. We watched him. I, w- I was on the field at Baylor when BYU went down there. I thought he was as good as Jaron Hall in that game. Obviously, that's not a consistent thing he was able to put together, and the injuries came up. I know it's there. I know he has it. But if you haven't seen it for two or three years, you can't believe it. Jake Retzloff, there were moments like, okay, he's got some skills. He's got certain things. He's mobile. I like that. But the costly turnovers and the, like, what was that kind of throws gave you pause. And then beyond that, we don't know any of these guys. We don't know what they could do. They're not proven. I mean, Kate Fennigan's played in some games. Didn't go well Boise State. Uh, I don't know. There's just too many I don't knows, Mitch, and that's why there's reason for concern here. It is concerning. And, you know, you look at Kalani Satake's best teams. He's heading into his ninth year already, which is crazy to think. His best teams at BYU, 2016 with nine wins, 2020 with 11, 2021 with 10. The common theme, NFL quarterback Taysom Hill, Zach Wilson, Jaron Hall. Mm. If Kalani wins, you've got to have an NFL quarterback. If he doesn't have an NFL quarterback, it's about seven wins on the high end, and that was with independent schedules. No one's going to say that those independent schedules, even though they had maybe higher level of top-end teams, the bottom of those schedules was bad. There's yeah. no you know, terrible teams in this 12-game schedule. BYU's got a bunch of games next season where they could be 50-50 games. Like, I'm not looking at anyone in the Big 12 and saying they are just untouchable. I mean, that's going to be kind of the entertainment value of the Big 12 is that it's 50-50 football every week. Anything can happen, and it's going to be wild. And and BYU could maybe be that team that was like West Virginia this past year where they rise from the ashes and give you an eight-win season maybe. But... History has shown that Kalani's got to have an NFL quarterback to get that done. And if he doesn't, it's going to be a lot of hair hair pulling and you're going to be feeling like BYU is not in a good place. And the stakes get magnified when Utah's in the league. I think that's an underrated storyline going into the season that now you are in the same league as your most heated rival. There's no debate about like this is the rival. Like, no, it's Utah. That's your rival in the Big 12. And if they step in this league and just win it, and I think they're at a minimum in the top three of this league, at a minimum, uh, that's going to be that's going to elevate the stakes and the urgency for BYU. So they've got to get this right. And I think that you have so many guys in that quarterback unit right now because they all feel like what we're talking about. There's no clear cut guy. So you know, Ryder Burns saying I I could maybe emerge. Like, is it possible? Probably not. But there's this feeling around the entire BYU program where everything's up for grabs outside of 
you know, defensive end with Tyler Batty and cornerback Jacob Robinson and a handful of offensive linemen with Connor Pay and Braden Kime. I think every position is up for grabs for BYU. Wide receiver, I, I feel like there should be position, there should be competition, even though you do bring back Chase Roberts and you bring back Cody Epps and you bring back some key pieces, Keelan Marion. But there, there needs to be competition because no one, especially on the offensive side, etched their name as the clear-cut guy because that was a disaster last season in many regards for BYU. I mean, if you don't have you know a, a, a season-opening uh, opener against Sam Houston, and if it would have been Tennessee like originally planned, you're talking about a four-win season. So BYU had a, a lot of issues last year, but Kalani does, you know, whenever to his credit, whenever he's made changes and there were some tweaks to the offensive staff, he tends to have a little bit of an uptick in in wins and in production. So bowl game is doable, but, you know, spring ball has got to really get some answers because if they don't get those answers, they got to be heavily involved in the post-spring transfer portal window. I have one answer for you about the NFL quarterback thing. They don't have an NFL quarterback. That's the thing, they too. They just don't. I don't. And I'm with you. I, I think that's where I point to back all the way to 2002 because – uh, in that stretch, that if for people that I mean, it's a history lesson in a way. It's ancient, ancient history for many people now. But you know, that was a stretch where BYU was on a, a three-year losing skid with Gary Crow, and and they had no NFL quarterback. And then John Beck in the later stages emerged and became the guy, and he went on to be an NFL QB. And then from Beck became Max Hall, and there's been a stretch of really good quarterback play in the last two decades for BYU, a lot better than I think. People realize, I think so many times they just turn to the 70s and the 80s when it was the heyday of BYU quarterback play, and it's still the the gold standard. But, man, BYU's had some really good QBs in the last 15 or so years that have played in the NFL and won NFL games. And uh, that right now, there's no sign of a guy in that unit that screams NFL to me either. And I think a part of a big part of this issue right now, the quarterback unit for BYU is that they went two entire recruiting cycles without signing a high school guy. And it's created this situation where they're in hurry up mode and they've got to go get a one year rental or a one year guy like Gary Bohannon and Keaton Slovis last year to kind of put a bandaid on the issue. But uh, I think in an ideal world, BYU has, Retzlaff emerge as the starter out of spring, but young guys like Ryder Burton and Noah Lugo show promise that say they could play if called upon in the fall. Because if that doesn't happen, then you're talking about being in a world where you're going for another one-year guy next year or even this summer if if needed. So wow. it's just kind of a it's a it's a very important spring. And I know that that sounds very uh, reality TV show host to me, like the most important spring ball ever. <laughs> we say this every offseason. <laughs> But it, it does feel like it because, look, I mean, you go back-to-back losing seasons. I know Tom Homo told me that Kalani Satake has no hot seat right now. But, uh, I mean, the standards should still be at a high level, I would imagine. Like, BYU football's, you know, in the top 10 in wins over the last 50 years. They know winning football down at BYU. And just because you're in the Big 12 doesn't mean that that standard should be lowered. So, you got to still win games and that's the challenge in front of BYU to get those answers, to find those guys that are going to go win those ball games coming up in the fall. Well, not to be too negative here. We're just being honest about the quarterback position. It is a major concern. There are reasons to be positive, though, and there's a lot of other things going on. I, I love what Jay Hill's doing with the defense. I thought you saw improvement last year in the defense. It wasn't as much as you probably like. I don't think the pass rush was as good yeah. as it needed to be, but it was a little bit better. Does that get even better this year? How much better can that defense be, and what do you want to see in spring that will confirm that to you? I think they're going to be a top four defense in the Big Twelve this year. Okay, and I so think that's positive. T- I think they're going to take a huge leap. Uh, I feel like the addition of Jack Kelly 
is going to be an instant impact, plug and play. He's a starter, and you pair him up with Ben Bywater, maybe Ace Kafusi as another linebacker. I love the talent at linebacker for BYU. It's back to being, you know, where you feel like you're three deep, and, and that's where BYU should be. You still got Harrison Taggart coming back, former corner Canyon, Oregon guy. Uh, he's in his second year at BYU. I think the defensive line will be much improved for BYU. And, and I think a lot of that is because of the continuity won with Batty returning and Zay Banya. But I love the new additions that BYU brought in from the JC and, and transfer portal ranks. I've talked about him quite a bit, but Sonny Tuala, he's going to be part of spring ball. He was a Juco transfer. He's incredibly raw. He's only played football for about three years in his life. But if he can kind of catch fire, I mean, the athleticism that he has off the edge will be a huge boost for BYU. And I, I noted Jack Kelly, like I think in talk, talking about, you know, pass rush, he led the big sky last year at Weber State in sacks with 10 and a half. BYU as a team had 11 sacks. That guy alone will be, will instantly provide an uptick in production for BYU you there and I like the cornerbacks with Jacob Robinson I think there's you need answers as far as who's going to be that starter alongside him but I know they really like Maury Bamba Uh, he was someone who got a few starts last year but he's still very young and and raw but they bring in a few guys from the JC ranks and also uh, guys back from injury the safeties bring back Micah Harper I think that sec that defensive unit second year under Jay Hill I'm saying I feel like they'll be top four in the Big 12. I think they will make massive leaps forward. They, the biggest question, I think, on the defensive side is the D tackles. Uh, John Nilsson comes back from an injury, which I think is a big deal for BYU. But I think that's an area where BYU's got to maybe hit the portal to add depth at that position because it is relatively thin there unless they get some immediate answers from some of these JUCO transfers that Jay Hill and Sione Buha brought in. But I, I like the defense. If they can stay healthy, they're going to be a really good group. So if that defense is as good as you say it is, that'll keep them in some games. It'll give the offense a chance. I think so. As it tries to figure some things out. Well, let's talk about some other positions on that offense because you lost some running backs. And uh, Aiden Robbins, who I felt like should have came back, decides to go to the NFL. That was a big loss. LJ Martin, he proved himself, but was it consistent? And is he ready to step into that role? How do you look at that running back position? Because running the football was a problem for BYU's offense. It put a lot of pressure on Keaton Slovis. And the, the pass game couldn't carry the offense. How much better will the run game be or will it not be? It's a big question like quarterback. And, and I think part of it is because of the high standard that the Big 12 has for, for the running game. I mean, the, the backs in this league, not only the best in the Big 12, but I think some of the best running backs in college football, I would say five or six of the best top 10 running backs in college football reside in this league. When you think yeah. about Ollie Gordon, R.J. Harvey at UCF, uh, Taj Brooks at Texas Tech, uh, DJ Giddens at, at Kansas State. There are some great running backs in this league. So there's a high standard uh, for what th- is expected from that position. And I think LJ Martin has star potential at BYU. I, I do. And I think the coaches see that in him. And But is he ready to be that guy? I mean, he's one rolled ankle away uh, from then you're turning to Miles Davis, who has seldomly played and had a brief moment in the transfer portal. And then it's maybe Hinkley Rapati, who had a few games, but he's also had a history of uh, putting the ball on the turf and not, you know, taking care of ball security. So big questions there. I- I'm very surprised that BYU comes into spring without a transfer portal addition. It feels like, it feels like that's been the, the bread and butter of BYU off seasons where out of all the positions out of the portal, you can tell running backs, Hey, we've had Chris Brooks, Tyson Williams, Aiden Robbins, all guys that are going to get a paycheck from an NFL team. Like I think Aiden Robbins is going to get maybe a undrafted free agent opportunity and get a chance to, to earn a paycheck. And Chris Brooks was, 
you know, a, a thing in Miami last year. So uh, I think that that's been a position where BYU's had a lot of success. And Tyler Algier and Jamal Williams, they've churned out NFL backs under Kalani Satake. So uh, they are putting a lot of expectations on on on, on uh, LJ Martin. But I think a, a guy to keep an eye on that I'm very intrigued by, he's a local kid from Tintview High School, Pokayawa Honga from Tintview High, came back from a mission. He could be kind of like, there's a little bit of comparisons to Harvey Unga potentially, really good athlete. I think he could be one to watch that could emerge and be a, a spring ball name that no one's talking about right now that could be someone that we're talking about come summertime around Big 12 media days as maybe a factor in that running back unit for BYU. But it's it's light, and, and I think that's uh, an area that uh, they've got to bolster. Regardless of what happens in spring, I think they need to add someone in that post-spring window. At the O-line, is it going to be – was it coaching last year? Was it talent? Was it mix? Are they going to be good enough this year? Is it going to be better? I think that they are going to be better. TJ Woods comes in from Georgia Southern, and I saw him at the BYU-Baylor game, all decked out in BYU Gears family, so he's leaning into being a BYU guy. Got the great offensive line and coach mustache. Like Looks like an offensive <laughs> line coach. That. He looks the part. Uh, Connor Pay returns. Braden Kime, I think, is an underrated return. I think he's someone that maybe a year from now could be maybe an NFL pick, potentially, because he's a freaky athlete. Kime, so I, I like that grouping. You know, it's interesting. Kalani Satake said he is just so excited about year two with Caleb Etienne. He kind of wanted to temper the expectations, but he feels like it's going to be night and day. And that's uh, that would be a huge development because if Etienne becomes the player that they thought he was going to be when they got him from Oklahoma State last year, uh, that could be a game changer for BYU along the offensive line. I don't think they're as deep as what they've been the last three years. I think it kind of stops after about six guys, and you feel like there's a lot of questions as are they ready to step into uh, a Big 12 game, but the coaches have really loved Lone Peak High uh, return missionary Joe Brown, mm. who they elevated from preferred walk-on status to a scholarship. He could be a starter uh, in, in year one back from a mission. He's going to compete in spring ball. So I, I think they will improve, and I think that there's going to be a lot more aggressive uh, attitude. I think T.J. Woods is going to bring an intensity where they're going to hold guys accountable. That wasn't happening last year with the previous regime with Daryl Funk, and I think that alone can can help maybe get the most out of these players that are talented at the top end of that unit. Last BYU topic before we go to break. This has been a great spring tra- uh, spring football primer. Tight end position really, really slipped last year. Is there, Can they find somebody in spring that can emerge there? I think so, and I think that the two guys that I'm really curious on are Jackson Bowers and Reiner Swanson. One, because of their you know decorated high school careers, four-star prospects. I mean, had you name a school, and they got offers from them. I mean, they, mm. they got SEC offers. I mean, Reiner Swanson's a 17-year-old kid, comes in from Laguna Beach, California, turned down Texas, and he was heavily considering Texas, but it was – just the pull of BYU. There's still that appeal for for LDS kids uh, to play at BYU. So that was a big win for BYU on the recruiting trail. But also Keanu Hill switches over from wide receiver to tight end. Keanu Hill is about you know, 235, 240 pounds. He was struggling to keep off the weight. That was one of the big reasons why they switched him over to tight end. You know, if, if he can continue to run the same type of routes that he had as a wide receiver at the tight end spot, he, he could be a factor. But I just haven't seen it consistently from Keanu to say he's going to be the guy. I'm looking more to Bowers and Reiner Swanson to be those guys. You also bring in 
uh, Ethan Erickson, who's a returning letterman, and also Anthony Olsen from Olympus, who I really like, could be a, a name to keep an eye on. I've been, I've been high on him for the past couple of years, but still kind of learning the game of football. He's in his third year at BYU. I think he's a really good athlete and could earn some playing time this season. That is a great primer for spring football for the BYU Cougars. It begins on Friday. Mitch is going to be all over it. Be sure to watch his coverage and con- consume his coverage <laughs> in all the different media formats, social media, KSL News Radio, right here on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. He's all over the place, Mitch. That's great. Uh, look forward to another spring football season getting underway. We've got to take a break. We will be right back. JJ and Alex, Jeremiah Jensen, Mitch Harper, 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> You're locked into JJ and Alex with the insight and analysis on the teams you can't live without. Presented by G2G Bars. This is 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. JJ and Alex continues 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Mitch Harper sitting in. For Alex Curie, Alex will be back on Wednesday. So it's Jeremiah and Mitch today. <laughs> we had some fun in the first segment. I think BYU fans really appreciate that breakdown. That was awesome, Mitch. Every detail about what we're looking forward to seeing here with the BYU football team as spring football begins on Monday, on sorry Friday. Uh, I can't believe spring football is already here, but it is. Uh, the Cougars get started, and there was a lot of questions we have which kind of makes it interesting and fun. I think sometimes, I mean, we all want to have answers, and I think when you have more answers than questions, you're you're set up for success. But at the same time, I think there's some real opportunities there on that BYU football team. You mentioned a lot of names that could emerge. You know, it doesn't, you know, I, I say that they don't have a quarterback. Well, maybe they do. We just don't know. Yeah. And based on what we've seen so far, based on what we know about the roster, I'm sorry. There's nobody on there that's proven themselves Beyond Gary Bohannon, who has had a significant injury that he's overcoming, is he going to be the same quarterback he was before? Where's the arm strength? Where is he as far as, you know, as a quarterback, you know, having gone through all those things? We haven't seen it. We just don't know. And I think that that's why there's doubt. And I think hopefully BYU fans understand that's not us sitting here being negative, like just ripping BYU. It's just where they're at with that position in a league that's loaded with quarterbacks. You talk about the top end of the uh, Big 12 next year, Mitch. There's some really good quarterbacks in the league. There is. And, and Cam Rising's near the top. Shadur Sanders, I think, is the best in the league. Colorado. Uh, even Rocco Becht, Big 12 freshman of the year last season, coming back for Iowa State. Iowa State, I think, is good enough to win the league, potentially. I, I really do. I think Iowa State could be a really uh, a big factor in the Big 12 title race next season, especially with Matt Campbell once again coming back. They were the youngest team in the Big 12 last season. So, Quarterbacks galore in the league. Avery Johnson's going to be good at Kansas State. I, I just I like the league, the balance of it. And BYU just seems to be this team. What hurts BYU is that they don't have answers at quarterback, and they also just don't have an identity in this league. Like I can point back to at West Virginia last November, and it, look, it's just media talk, but it was like a first impression sort of deal. And some of those West Virginia media talking heads were almost saying. BYU might be the new Kansas of this league. And I'm thinking, right. like, what? The the new Kansas? Like, the Kansas that was a one-win team? But there were stretches last year where BYU looked like that team. And as many uh, moments as Retzlaff gave you, and there was a few, 
he ultimately finished 0-4, and, and he had chances to win that job and say, I am your leader. Follow my lead. I'm putting the team on my back. Let's go. And he just couldn't get it done. And look, maybe it's just a case of he needs more snaps and more opportunities. And I do think he's the favorite right now to win that job, but it's a byproduct of you didn't get anyone that has a resume that says he is going to get pushed, and if he wins this job – you're going to feel a lot better about him winning it because there's so many good options around him that he rose the occasion and got it. It's more of a case of, well, he's got the most experience returning working with Roderick. He probably should get the nod. Yeah. And that's not the best world to be in, in a, in a league that's that's ripe for opportunity where everyone's – that's what makes the Big 12 fun next year and in the years to come. Everyone's in this chase to – with a 12-team playoff – and to this push to become the new standard, the, the new brand that elevates the Big 12. Like, everyone's chasing that. And why can't you have that dream in Provo? Everyone's having it in Morgantown, Lawrence. I mean, everyone from this whole league, they're thinking they can be that that team. And it's just like it, there's a window that's being missed if you can't get that quarterback spot right. Yeah, and you you, you just you simply just mentioned all those names. And it, there's even more guys in the league. You didn't even mention Jalen Daniels of Kansas, right? <laughs> Yeah. He was the preseason player of the year last year. Injuries derailed his season. He's back. Uh, West Virginia's got an entrenched Garrett quarterback. Green. There's just so many good players at that position in the Big 12. BYU's got to have somebody step up. If you want to be the best, you've got to have a quarterback that's that can compete with those names we mentioned. Until BYU answers that question, there's going to be some doubt. Uh, as far as doubt goes with MLB expansion, there's no doubt that Salt Lake City has stepped up. And let's give some credit to Big League Utah. Yes. Steve Starks, the CEO of Miller Group, has done a great job. The Larry H. Miller Company stepped up. They're ready to go. And everything is in a great position because of the work that, that Starks and that whole group have done. And right now, from all the reports we've heard, it's looking like Nashville and Salt Lake City are in the lead. The only problem is... The MLB hasn't even started any kind of formal expansion process. So we're probably six years away from that happening officially. And the the, the names or the cities that are going to be named, uh, probably, what, 28, 29, if that's the case. So we're looking at another four years that things could flip-flop, things could change, or things stay the same. But I know you're following the story. You have interest in baseball. You love the sport. Uh, what is your excitement level about the possibility of a team here in Utah? And are you worried that we can't have nice things and the rug's <laughs> going to be pulled from out from under us? Uh, I think this is going to get done eventually. And I mean, the fact that I'm very excited, first off, to answer your question, I, I think that it's uh, would be just a huge thing for this market to have uh, a pro baseball team, you know, filling the summer months and giving another entertainment option to a market that just, quite frankly, I think people love sports here more than than most markets. It's not a it's not a passive market when it comes to fan interest, uh, like many Western markets. Like this market cares about its sports and they lean into it, especially when there's a winner. Uh, they're all in, and you know I just think that I think it's remarkable too that Salt Lake it feels like has closed a, a gap because it feels like Nashville's been this team that's or market that's been tossed around. For more than a decade, it feels yeah. like they've been that next in line. They've already, got their, they've already got, they're already <laughs> the Nashville stars. They've already got it picked out. Yeah. They're all ready to go. So there's been so many years, yet Salt Lake has closed the gap, it feels like. Yeah. And to, as to your point with Big League Utah, I mean, I, I, maybe it's just 
following the Jazz for many years in this market and seeing them and observing them, I just feel like anytime the Millers attach their name to anything, it's going to be a well-executed from top yeah. to bottom operation. And when they're all in on something, I have a lot of trust that it's going to get done. And that's what gives me hope. Like, it's not some group that we're not familiar with. Like, we know the nuts and bolts of how the Millers operate, and that's a dang good product that's going to bring consistency. It's not going to be a volatile product. Like, I mean, the A's, you know, if we wanted to see them here in Salt Lake, that's a volatile franchise. You just never know what they're going to do, and it's caused so many headaches, and they've never evolved, even though they've had great players over the years, and they've had moments and seasons where you feel like they're maybe the best in the AL, and they never get it done because they're just, and fire sell the product. And whereas this group will be in it to win and they will want to put out a product that consistently competes at a high level. And I think the entertainment, the amenities, I think it's all factored in. I think that's why uh, it'd be foolish for the A's not to come here. And then it can be that great audition to say, hey, Salt Lake is primed and ready to have an MLB team because people here in this market, they want more sports uh, entertainment options, and they're, they're craving that. So I, I'm very interested in this story. It's It's got me more fired up in baseball, honestly, coming up to this season because for the past few years, it's just more casual looking at scores and you know not being invested. I feel like this year I'm, I'm way more intrigued in the storylines, the hot stove, because there's, there's a chance this has a ripple effect on our market. Yeah, I think people here – almost unanimously love to have Major League Baseball here unless they have to pay a billion in taxes to yeah. fund it. That's, that's a different story. We're not going to dig into that right now. Uh, that will be debated and discussed. Uh, you know, it sounds like a hotel tax, but you know, hopefully all that, the political stuff and all that kind of stuff gets worked out because as a sports fan, you want that to be here. But CBSSports.com, writer Dane Perry, baseball writer, uh, took a look at MLB expansion right now. He broke down eight possible locations for new baseball teams from population to how many other pro sports teams they have in those markets because it's obvious that baseball is interested in going to 32 teams. So he went through all these different areas or categories. How much that has an impact on things, I don't know. But obviously, population matters, right? You want to go into a market that is big. So when it comes to the teams that are being considered here, Montreal, Charlotte, San Antonio – Portland, Sacramento, Las Vegas, Nashville, and Salt Lake City. He picked these eight cities. Salt Lake City's eighth in population. Montreal would be first at 4.38 million. So Salt Lake City comes in eighth as far as population goes. How about media market rank? This is interesting. Sacramento, 20th. Charlotte, 21st in the country. They are second. Portland, 23rd. Nashville, 26th. Salt Lake City, 27th. San Antonio, 31st. Vegas 40th. I will tell you that Salt Lake City is shooting up the Nielsen DMA charts. Since I've been working here, when I first got here to Salt Lake City, I think we were 36th. Hmm. And in that time, we are now up to 27th. In fact, I think there's been a six-spot climb just in the last five years. So the population in here is rising. The media market size of Salt Lake City is growing by the year. And we've passed places like Milwaukee and San Antonio, Pittsburgh, Cities like that, those are significant. That's significant because yeah. those are places with multiple pro sports teams, and we're right on the heels of Nashville. Portland, while they're making their case up there, it's a four-spot difference. It's not that big of a deal. Salt Lake City, and I feel in that area, which is might be more, more important than the population thing, they rank pretty well. They're in a good spot. And I know we're up close to this market all the time, but it just feels like compared to those other markets, and again, I don't know, I'm not going to sit here and claim to know all the nuances in the the fabric of 
the culture of those media markets, but it feels like there's just upside. Like you're, yes. you're investing into a rising product in Salt Lake, whereas some of these other markets, I just feel like sports has it's the interest level is has peaked. It's in the past. Like at Sacramento, it's not going to be the days of. You know, the Kings in the cowbell. I know they still support the Sacramento Kings greatly. and But it's just like, I feel like their their best days are beyond where Salt Lake is just. People in Sacramento are Giants fans. Exactly. They're already occupied by so many other teams in California. I just feel like, you know, Salt Lake's just got the ability to where you come in day one and you're going to win over a market. Because there's so many, I know there's a lot of fan base or a lot of uh, sports fans here in this market that maybe you have adopted the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Dodgers, sure. you know, the key brands. But I feel like a lot of them might sacrifice that and say, you know what? I want to be part of the the team that's in the home market and I'm ready to go all in on this team. So I, I just feel like that's what's also appealing. And uh, like, again, there's a lot of people moving in. I know that's not ideal. Uh, we don't want necessarily, you don't necessarily want that, but I know people listening probably don't, but a lot of people want to live here. Once you get here, you go, this is an amazing place. And, yeah. and I think pro athletes, once they get into this market, they realize, Hey, it's not as crazy as it's been portrayed for so many decades. It's a great place to live and to raise a family. I just think there's so much upside and potential in Salt Lake. And like, I, again, I think like Charlotte could probably be a good market, I'm sure. But too, I just think too close to Atlanta, too close to Nashville. That's the thing is where that matters. And I'll get to the you, know, you, need, get to that. you need a team in the mountain time zone exactly. too for windows television. Yep. So Salt Lake City ranks low in, in per capita GDP. Um, more people have more money to spend in Vegas, Charlotte, Sacramento, those places. Uh, number of major sports franchises. Not that many. That actually helps, I think, their case because there's room for growth here. Yeah. There's room for growth. There's, there's, there's the market's not a split, but here's a really big factor. I think it matters. Salt Lake City's 520 miles from Denver. Obviously, when the A's come here, Vegas is a little closer, but you're still far away. This is a chance for MLB to come to a rising market and a huge geographic area that a team could occupy where there's not currently one. And so, this is an opportunity for Major League Baseball to tap into an untapped sports market. As we're mentioning, there's a lot of interest here. And I think that certainly favors Salt Lake City. But uh, the thing that I take away from this is even though Salt Lake City doesn't have a lot of advantages in these categories that he's throwing out as being the reason why you give somebody an expansion team, they're at the front of the they're at the front. Yep. They're in the they're the leader in the clubhouse right now for the Western Club. Give Steve Starks, Big League Utah credit, Dale Murphy, everybody involved. Give everyone who's supporting this credit because you're at the front of the line when by logic. You should be in the back. Yeah. That's awesome. And that's why this is so promising. And be and and big league Utah and this this situation is great for if you want Major League Baseball in Utah, things are looking really good, despite some of these challenges that uh might be the perception of people outside of here. But obviously Major League Baseball, Rob Manfred know what's going on here with the efforts that are being put forth and uh, ownerships in place. The stadium site's in place, and the public support is in place. So Utah's well ahead despite the odds. All right, this week on Win Ticket Wednesday, we're giving you the chance to win tickets to see Santana at Utah First Credit Union Amphitheater on August 21st, 2024. So that's Win Ticket Wednesday coming up. Santana, Utah First Credit Union Amphitheater on August 21st. And 
you can look forward to that. Uh, as always, JJ and Alex is brought to you by G2G Bars with all natural ingredients, no preservatives, plenty of protein. G2G Bars are perfect for anyone who needs a tasty and nutritious boost. And it's also brought to you by the great people at Trajan Wealth, your local financial fiduciary. Fiduciary, 801-899-7600. You can visit their website at trajanwealth.com. Our weekend warriors are coming up next. JJ and Alex, 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Um. Your home for the best coverage of the Jazz, Utes, and Cougars is right here on the zone. This is JJ and Alex, presented by G2G Bars on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. JJ and Alex, 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Hope you're enjoying your Monday as you come to the end of your work day or wherever you might be today. Thanks for making us a part of your day. Jeremiah Jensen sitting next to Mitch Harper, who's filling in for Alex Carey today. Mitch Harper, the Cougar Sports Insider for KSLSports.com and KSL News Radio. You're everywhere. <laughs> you're, well, you're what I would call, Mitch, a weekend warrior. Yes. Nobody works harder than you on the weekend, which is a perfect segue into this segment. It's Weekend Warriors time. It's brought to you by Gillette Heating and Air. Right now, get sensational. Sorry, it is sensational, but it's also seasonal maintenance done on your furnace for only $59. See GilletteHVAC.com to make an appointment. Gillette Heating and Air. All right. Weekend Warrior, you got a good one. I do. I don't know if you caught this. this oh, I did. Uh, NFL, should I, do I say future NFL Hall of Famer? Oh, now we're getting into a debate. Okay. So, I love, love Cam Newton. What I what I love about my quarterbacks is I want them to be good, I want them to be entertaining, and I want them to be interesting. And he was all three yes. of those things in his prime. He was an MVP. Yep. So. Got to a Super Bowl, it, didn't win, but no, hey, he was there against your Broncos. Dan Marino did the same dang yep. thing, and Dan mm-hmm. Marino's one of the all-time greats. Uh, is Cam Newton a Hall of Famer? Is Matt Ryan a Hall of Famer? Yes, I think is, so. It, was Matt Ryan better than Cam Newton at any season in his career? No. I think I'd go Cam Newton Hall of Fame. See? <laughs> I think that I can't put Matt Ryan in the Hall of Fame without putting Cam Newton in the Hall of Fame. They were playing during the basically the same decade in their prime, right? Well, and after the weekend, I'm ready to etch the bust <laughs> after seeing this epic video. Okay, so Cam Newton... He's hosting a seven-on-seven football camp, so these high school seven-on-seven camps he's hosting in the Atlanta area. About five or six men suddenly attack Cam Newton over uh, how these games played out and the trash-talking that took place, and Cam Newton is fighting these men by his lonesome. I mean, the guy, the guy carried Auburn to a national title on his back. The guy can far, fight uh, on his own against six men, and he's got the kind of the silly hat, the style, the fashion that he's typically known of for he does. While, while fighting. Uh, insane video. A guy that was – because many led many people wondering – what caused this fight? Well, apparently someone that uh, went after Cam, he said that Cam was uh, in his car yelling and talking a lot of smack, trash talk. He was coaching one of the seven-on-seven teams, 
and just nonstop trash talk from Cam Newton, leading these other coaches to then want to fight him, and Cam stonewalled him and, and basically held his own against six men. So my weekend warrior embodied the warrior word, uh, Cam Newton, just fighting off six grown men at a seven-on-seven football camp. Cam Newton, <laughs> literally a weekend warrior. <laughs> my goodness. Not the only time it's happened to him, too, where he's getting these fights at uh, football camps. What apparently, the heck? apparently he's just a trash talker, and it causes these uh, other coaches to want to brawl and fight over youth sports. You gotta love that, right? That is just bizarre. <laughs> I tell you what, though, Cam Newton is always interesting, always entertaining, always fascinating, even in retirement now. Oh, yeah. If he's, I don't know, is he, is he officially retired? I don't know, but he is definitely not playing. He's a YouTuber. In the NFL, right? He's okay. Well, he's a YouTuber. There you go. And he's saying Brock Purdy, I mean, even Super Bowl week, he's like 10th best player. He's in the headlines. Cam Newton's always interesting. I like Cam Newton. Sorry. I'm not going to apologize for that. Me too. I love Cam Newton. So do not mess with Cam Newton. He is (laughs) still, he is still a strong, strong man. My weekend warrior, not as funny, not as interesting (laughs) But very inspiring. I love the University of Utah women's basketball team because they have been through all kinds of adversity this season, lost their second-best player to injury. They've had all kinds of ups and downs. They've had some bad calls at the end of games that screwed them out of wins. I said it, that screwed them out of wins. And they still have continued to fight. They got embarrassed on national TV Thursday at UCLA. What do they do? Two days later, they bounce back, and they beat seventh-ranked USC on their court. Alyssa Peely. 23 points, 9 rebounds against her former team, and the Utes bounce back. They have four top 10 wins this season, most in the country, and they're fighting to get one of those top four seeds in the NCAA tournament, which would mean they would host, again, back-to-back seasons. Uh, They're well on their way, but the Utah women's basketball team, once again, a great story this season. They're headed to the NCAA tournament here very soon, and we will see what they do once they get there. But they've got one week left in the regular season, and they're off to Vegas. They faced a total gauntlet. Uh, Pac-12 women's basketball's elite this year. I mean, I think eight of the top 25 teams are from that conference. Yes. So they've had a lot of losses, and some of them blowouts. And you think, oh, what's going on? Is it panic time for this team? Are they not living up to it, even despite the injuries? Uh, but I just think it's the Pac-12. Like They're, they're loaded yeah. on the women's side this year. It's not like the men where... It's two teams dancing. Like No, the women's are kind of the gold standard of, of basketball. So it's been a, a real gauntlet. And they could still, like I said, get in that top 16. And uh, Alyssa Peely continues to dominate. She is a heck of a player. Might be, I mean, you can make a case she's the best just basketball player in the state, like men's and women's. So she's she's outstanding. She's a heck of a player. Yeah, I, Dylan Jones, obviously, but Alyssa yeah. Peely, what she's doing. Uh, and she's going to be in the WNBA. Uh, which is pretty cool. They played South Carolina, number one in undefeated South Carolina this year. Only lost by nine, held their own in that game. They were in it the whole way. So the Pac-12 prepares you for the NCAA tournament. They could very well make another deep run, as they did last year, to the Sweet 16, eventually losing to national champion LSU. we got to take another break. We'll be right back with NCAA tournament predictions. Speaking of that talk, nice segue into what we're going to be talking about next. BYU, Utah State. Utah, even Weber State, where do all these teams fit right now? What do they got to do to get lock status? What does Utah need to do to get off the bubble? We'll talk about all of that coming up and more after this. JJ and Alex, 97.5 DKSL Sports Zone. Hey, this is JJ and Alex. I made a name for myself. I told you I won't be denied. As you wrap up your day, it's time to get your fix of the teams you live for and the sports you love. This is JJ and Alex, presented by G2G Bars on 97.5. 
the KSL Sports Zone. JJ and Alex continues now into the 4 o'clock hour. Jeremiah Jensen, Mitch Harper sitting in for Alex Carey. Alex will be back on Wednesday tomorrow. Our guest will be Stevenson Sylvester. So if you're a Utah football fan, Sly's going to give you a nice breakdown tomorrow, just, just like we did with Mitch today for BYU. His spring football is about to get underway across the state. But let's be honest. We are what? Four days away from March, which means yes. what? It's yeah. March Madness season. That's right. <laughs> Can't wait. Three weeks away, we get a bracket. Oh, on, on this three Mon- weeks? On this Monday, on, on, oh my. it'll just be wall-to-wall breaking down the, the, the bracket. How, awesome. am I, how am I supposed to do a radio show? Because <laughs> this is the first year I'll be doing a radio show during the afternoon when all those tournament games are going on and I can't watch them. I have to actually broadcast <laughs> Dude, we got TV right here. You're good. I can't sit here and watch TV, though. That's bad radio. <laughs> I, multitask, man. You've been doing this for years, Jeremy. And Mitch, you too. Yes. I, I'm kind of new to this, the daily. And I'm not sure how I'm going to manage. I think I'm going to be a little distracted. I might have the sniffles that week, Jeremy. If I uh, come, on, come down with the flu or something, I apologize in advance. Uh, yeah, we're three weeks away, and I'm already feeling a little under the weather that week. <laughs> so we might have to find another fill-in. But you'll yes, see, you'll just need to get a credential for the games over across the street. Well, just, so, this is crazy, Mitch. We got we're hosting the NCAA tournament here in Salt Lake City. The Utah women could host the first two rounds if they get yes. a four-seater higher, and we could have not one, not two, not three, but possibly four men's teams in the tournament now. We need to look into how that's going to happen, if it's going to happen. That's what we're going to do right now. It's March Madness, and it's the cut. It's time for the biggest story of the day. This is what made the cut with J.J. and Alex on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Get the official debit cards of the Utah Jazz, University of Utah Sports, Real Salt Lake, and more exclusively at America First Credit Union. They sponsor the cut today. March Madness. It's almost here. Tournament projections. It's getting serious. I think uh, Joey Brackets, Joe Lenardi, he's starting to do almost the daily thing now. We're getting <laughs> to that point. It's getting serious. It's getting serious. Let's start with BYU, Mitch. Uh, letting people know this. This is awesome, by the way. You're headed to Kansas tomorrow. You're heading back to Lawrence. We went to Lawrence in September. That football stadium was, was a c- cement dungeon. dungeon. Yeah, it looked yeah. like a group of five stadium. We won't get into that. It's tear- It's tore down now. So uh, There you go. Yeah. They are in the process of changing that. Good for them. They, they need to start playing big boy football. <laughs> but when it comes to big boy basketball, yes. no one's better than Kansas. The Blue Bloods, one of the great programs from Wilt Chamberlain all the way to now. Former Jasmine Ochai Abaji won a national title with Kansas. So that's just – and Bill Self has just been on an incredible run. Now, I don't know if Kansas is at that level this year. We'll find out. It looks like Houston is definitely the class of the Big 12. And how about Houston coming in their first year in the Big 12 and and being the big bully? Although it hasn't been that clear cut. But anyway, wanted to mention to everybody that Mitch is headed to Allen Fieldhouse in Lawrence to cover BYU-Kansas tomorrow. That's exciting. Uh, BYU's first trip. Has BYU played in the Fieldhouse before? 1971. 1971. And you know, it's interesting. I, 53 I went, years. I went back in the history to look at this. 
Tomorrow will be BYU's fourth game ever in Allen Fieldhouse, only the second against Kansas. They played a game against Kansas State in 1959 in the Sunflower Showdown in Allen Fieldhouse, and they also played a game in 71 against Cincinnati in a Jayhawk Classic. Uh, so they've played some games, but only the second against Kansas in that historic building. And, you know, I, I think it might be the biggest brand BYU has ever gone up against. I mean, they had a game in the 90s with Duke in, in Maui. Uh, they faced North Carolina a handful of times. It was faced, in Vegas, I remember. Against Louisville Tyler Hansborough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they've, they've faced some big brands, but I think, you know, Kansas is, unlike Big 12 football, Big 12 basketball has that blue blood, that brand that every the oxygen of the league centers around them. And, look, Kansas is beatable this year. They're not beatable at home. And Allen Fieldhouse, they're 14-0 and 0 there. They're 313. I couldn't believe this. 313 and 17 since Bill Self took over as head coach in 2004 at home. By comparison, Mark Pope has already lost 12 games in the Marriott Center, a tough place to play, since he became the head coach in 2019. Wow. No one goes into Allen Fieldhouse and wins. So it's one of those games for BYU tomorrow where it's almost like, I know Mark Pope would cringe here in this and so would players, but it's one of those games where a moral victory could be a good thing, where you go a full 40 yeah. minutes and take them to the wire and show well. That can make you feel good coming out of Lawrence, but – uh, if you get thumped and you get blown out, well, you'd be you'd like, oh, it's kind of expected. But at the same time, this BYU team's a, kind of reeling a little bit because defensively, it has fallen off a cliff the last two weeks. Two weeks ago, around February 10th, they were a top 25 defensive team. Now they're down to 68th. They are, they're giving up 84 points per game the last four games. They are just not looking good on the defensive end. And then you pair that up with poor shooting, 19% from three against K-State. You're not going to win any games, home or away, if you put that product together. So BYU's got to find some answers, and it's not the best spot to get those answers when you're going up against a blue blood like Kansas. Certainly not. But if you look at the schedule next four games, I mean, probably going to drop those roadies, right? Kansas yeah. at Iowa State. I mean, that's tough. Even though they beat Iowa State in Provo, that's – Hilton Coliseum. Houston lost the names. And so did Kansas. Right, exactly. But TCU at home, Oklahoma State at home. Got to get that Oklahoma State game, one of the worst losses of the season for BYU. They could finish 500 in league this year, which is pretty good. And when you finish 500 in league in the Big 12, you can get a pretty good NCAA tournament seed. The net ranking is still at 13. Last I checked, maybe that's changed. So as you look at their uh, prospects for March, I feel like they're a lock. I don't think there's any way you're keeping them out of the tournament. Even if they lost their last four here, I still think they're solidly in. Obviously, that seed could change. You feel like that's you're looking at all the stuff you're looking at and where they stand. What seed do you think they're looking at here? I think they're going to be a, a six or a seven. And I, I, I maybe I, I err on the side of a little bit lower because BYU is just so hard to place in the bracket. It's an underrated storyline that I think – outside of the Joe Lenardis who do it all the time with bracketology and they understand the intricacies for the casual bracketologist, they don't maybe understand how the quadrants are very limited for BYU. Right. And it, there's very few Thursday, Saturday opportunities. I mean, instantly when that bracket rolls out, half the field is not available to BYU. And then within that half, uh, you're not going to put them in a one seed. You're not going to put them in a two seed. So then it, it narrows down. Right. And then you add in the Salt Lake component, and if you're not good enough to warrant that placement, you're probably looking at a seven, maybe in Charlotte, Omaha, or Pittsburgh. So I, I, that's where I kind of put BYU. And and look, that's fine because even though BYU has had moments of high level play, look, they've only been to the tournament 
twice since 2015. I mean, that's wow. it has it's been a long gap and it feels strange because Mark Pope has really had some good teams even that first year, but that was taken away with the pandemic. But but they're not getting the dance often. And, and so it just getting in that field in year one in the Big 12, that's a huge accomplishment for BYU. And I feel like you're right. I think they're comfortably in, and I think they're going to be around a seven range. You know how well BYU does in the tournament? I mean, it's going to depend on matchups. My biggest concern with BYU is when the threes don't fall, they yeah. don't win. And you get in a tournament in a weird venue you've never been in, but you had one practice to figure out how to shoot in that venue – I've covered BYU in the NCAA tournament. I've covered everybody here in the state in the NCAA tournament. Utah State, just ask the Aggies. They shoot the lights out in Vegas, and then they go to wherever, and then they can't find the bottom of the ocean. It happens. What do you do when that happens? Are you built to win when you're not knocking down threes? Can you grind out wins? That's my concern with BYU in the tournament. And I think the big question to maybe alleviate those concerns has got to be the play of Dallin Hall. Dallin Hall's got to be awesome for BYU down the stretch. And there's been too many games as of late where I feel like he's underperformed and at times maybe been a liability. I didn't think he played well against K-State. He was really bad against Oklahoma State. And look, Dallin Hall's had good games this year. I mean, he had an eight-assist game against West Virginia, and that's where they won on the road and had a breakthrough. So he's got to play well. And, you know, BYU, when that ball is is alive and they're passing that thing around, that's when they're playing great. And because they, I, I always worry, too, about a team – that just doesn't have a star. And I know Mark Pope has said, we've got a lot of guys that can you know, get the shot in a clutch situation, and that could be right. I think Jackson Robinson is probably the bet there. But I just think when things go sideways, who's going, going to be that, hey, I got the team. I'm putting this on my back. I'm, let me just go get a bucket. I don't think they got that guy still. And you're heading into March, and you still don't have that. And, look, that's just who you are, and that's fine. BYU had some limitations with this roster. The fact that they're even in this spot – I think people can be pretty excited about, but I feel like if you're going to make a run, you have to have star power in the in March Madness because the only times BYU goes the second weekend, JJ, is when they have the Naismith Player of the Year, yeah. Jimmer or Danny Ainge. If you don't have the best player in the sport, you're going to have an early exit, and yeah. that's just what it is for BYU hoops. So the good thing is what I what gives me excitement for them is that. I don't think they're going to be phased. Like, you probably covered those games when they face Texas A&M, and you go, oh, my gosh, this Josh Carter, just the size, the length. Uh, They've never seen anything like this, whereas they've seen it all in in the Big 12. They've seen the size, the athleticism. This will not shock them if they get a, you know, a power 16 that's big and athletic. Like, they've seen that every night in this league, and maybe that gives them a chance to step out of league and play a little bit better, but uh, it's just BYU's history in the the dance says – you're probably going to have an early exit because that's just what they've done until they rewrite that narrative. You're right. I, that that also concerns me too. You got to have a go-to. You got to have you got to have a Sam Merrill type guy. Yeah. Uh, just to use a local reference of somebody who can get you through in that clutch moment. Who's going to who's up to that moment? That that one shining moment. Yep. To use the cliche, when you need a big shot, the clock's running down. It's a tight game. Who's making that play for you? I don't know if they have that dude. We'll find out. Utah State. Let's turn our attention to the Aggies. What a story they've been this year. Danny Sprinkle comes in, takes over this program with zero points, not just zero starters or zero players, zero points returning from last year's team. And they're in the top 25 as we head into March. They will be a ranked team by the 1st of March. What a year they've had. What a what a run by Danny Sprinkle to turn this team into a winner in a short period of time. Sure, he brought some guys he was familiar with. From Montana State, his coaching staff as well, along with some players, great Osabor, Darius Brown, they have been amazing. 
and you've got some really good players on that team. They play really good team basketball. That's a team that doesn't shoot the three well. Yeah. This is I, I, I'm a little higher on Utah State's chances in March because I feel like they can win ugly, and they have found ways to win tight games over and over and over again this season. Remember the crazy five point play they had yeah. to have to win at UNLV. Just like how are you guys? How are you guys doing this? We talk to Scott Gerard all the time. He, I pass him in, in the hallway every time. He's like, I don't know how much longer this can continue. They just keep finding ways to win. Well, winning is a skill, and somehow, some way, this team that brought so few players back from last year and no points returning has developed the skill of winning and winning in the clutch. They've won some close games this year. They had another one. Uh, beating ranked San Diego State in the spectrum. Yes, obviously they're they're tough to beat in the spectrum. It certainly helps. It was obviously different at Viejas, but that's how college basketball works. It's tough to win on the road. They took care of business at home against San Diego State. I love the way this team's built. I love the way they play. They've got a big that can really get after it, mixes it up, physical, can score in the post, can score on the outside as well. And they got a good solid point guard in Darius Brown. Mason Falls is a nice wing. They've got dudes on that team that can really play well, and they've got some size in the middle. They seem to have a lot of the elements that you need to succeed in March. We're seeing them everywhere from a 5 to an 8 seed. I have no idea where they're going to land, but there's a very good chance they win the Mountain West regular season title because San Jose State, Fresno, Air Force, New Mexico, that's their schedule. They win out. They win the Mountain West. Any They win the Mountain West in a year that the, the league's going to get six bids. Wow. That's what I was going to say, too, is that, you know, the Mountain West, I thought its its peak was in 2011 with Jimmer, Kawhi, UNLV when they were really rolling. New Mexico was good. I thought that's probably it's as good as it gets for the Mountain West. No, this is better this year. Yeah. And Mason Falslev, you brought him up. I mean, he's freshman of the week this year, this week in the Mountain West, and he was a heck of a signee. Coming out of high school, four-star guy, originally committed to Utah. He's become a really big piece for Utah State. I think also the contributions from Isaac Johnson, uh, you know, transferring from Oregon. You know, he's seven-footer. They've got size. They've got a combination of, like, I I like the component of they can win ugly because I just feel like in NCAA tournament games, the local teams especially, maybe it's just I'm jaded because I've seen so many heartbreak for these local teams. But I, you got to maybe be able to win a game 58 to 56 potentially because the iron will be unkind for you in March. So I like that fact with this Utah State team and enjoy the ride because, you know, I, I know that, you know, Danny Sprinkle's name's already been tossed out as a name to watch in coaching circles. And that probably breaks the heart uh, hearts of Aggie fans because, I mean, when are you ever going to be able to keep a coach? But the thing is, you continue to get good hires, and you're in a spot to go make a run in March. And if you can go get a chance to advance the round of 32 for the first time since 01, like that, that's huge. And I think they're going to get, you know, right now they're projected as a sixth seed, potentially. And that's going to give you the chance to go do it because since 2001, most of these matchups have been 12 seed, 11 seed, 8, 9. Yeah. Not the ideal spots. If you can get a six seed, that just improves your odds. And now I know... That's usually upset central, that 5-12, But when you're that lower seed, the percentages say you're more likely than not to advance. So that would be huge for Utah State's efforts to get to that round of 32 for the first time in 23 years. Yeah, we'll see how the Mountain West tournament goes for the Aggies. But, uh, and again, it's just all about matchups. Who knows who you're going to play in that first round. Last year, Utah State had a really tough matchup with the Missouri team that played yeah. in the SEC. It was really physical and had a star player, and they did they couldn't match it. And so you see how that plays out. Who knows what the matchup will be this year? But you, as you say, the seeding will really matter for Utah State because uh, the, bet, the your chances of you know, when you're a six seed are a lot better than when you're a seven through ten. And I think you know on the on the downside, things trending backwards. Utah, I think is Oof. is 
heading in the wrong direction when it comes to the bracket. And I don't think, you know, it's interesting in the future when they're in the Big 12, Utah, you know, I was looking at the kind of the history of the Big 12 in their NCAA tournament last year. Iowa State earned a six seed despite losing seven of its last 10 games. That's And I bring that up because that's kind of the trend Utah's on right now. They've lost four of their last five, and that win at UCLA was was big, and that was important. But that setback at Colorado, and Colorado's got a good talent. They're top 25 recruiting classes, really good team as far as personnel, but they yep. haven't lived up to it. And to get thumped by 24, that just felt like a deflating moment for Utah's bubble, you know, sneaking in. I, I think if they're in, they're in Dayton, and that's in that Tuesday game and – you know, just maybe getting into the field would be huge for Utah because it's been a long time for the Utes, but they are on the slide, and it feels like they're trending more in the bracketology projections to being out rather than one of those last four in. Yeah, it's been a minute since Utah's been in the tournament, and I know that there's a lot of frustration up on the hill about that, and there's frustration in the fan base. And when you're Utah and you have the story tradition they have, you expect more. And I think Craig Smith, when he took the job, knew that. And I'm sure that he's frustrated as anybody right now that they've had this late season swoon. Injuries have played a role in that. Uh, the ball hasn't bounced their way. It did, fortunately, at US UCLA, but it didn't at USC. So they've had a really up and down season. Uh, the problem I think Utah has right now, Mitch, is sometimes you have a chance, whether it's you know late in the season or in the conference tournament, where you have a chance to get that win that'll put you over the top. Yep. Uh, outside of Arizona, who's that win in the, at the Pac-12 tournament? So yep. they, they have a real problem here where they honestly feels after that loss to Colorado, it feels like they got to win out, at least get to the conference championship game to really make that push and get on the other side of the bubble. But outside of beating Arizona and Vegas, what is that win? Is Washington State enough of that win? I mean, obviously they, they are up there now. I mean, Washington State's probably with five seed in the NCAA tournament right now. Just came off that win against uh, Arizona and Tucson. They've had a great season and their coach has done a great job there. But outside of those two teams – who are you beating in Vegas that's going to put you over the top? Who, who's going to help your net ranking? Who's going to help your uh, perception? I, I don't know. That's the tough place where Utah's at. Normally in, in past years, the Pac-12 yep. would offer that, right? It's not offering that this year. Next three games are against sub-100 teams in Ken Palm. Yeah. And it's just – It's going to drag a, the net ranking it, down. And the thing is, just before we get to break, I know we're up against it, but I mean, you bring up the net ra- rating – do you like this where it's the focus of quad one, quad two? Because I'll be honest, I mean, it's insane to me that BYU, they lost to a Oklahoma State, and that was a bad loss. I, yeah. I came away feeling like BYU played terrible. Yeah. But then it saved well. Well, it's quad two. Like, no, that was a terrible – your eyes didn't lie. That yeah. was a terrible performance, and but it's saved by, oh, quad two. Like, I, I just don't agree. I, I don't know if – maybe it's – I'm getting caught up in, in the moment, but it feels like – it's more. It's amplified more with just these net. Whereas before there was the RPI, and I know there was probably gamesmanship with that too. But this whole quad one, quad two, it gets kind of frustrating because, like, I saw that Oklahoma State team many times. They haven't won hardly any games, and but yet because they're in the Big Twelve, it's quad two, and right. it's an okay loss. Like it's just kind and of the Big strange. Twelve is really benefiting yeah. from the system right now yeah. because there's so many good teams, and they started good. So yeah. beating up against each other isn't hurting you. <laughs> But when you were in the WCC, if you're BYU and you lost to, you know, pick pick your Portland, team, Pacific, Bobby Sharp, whoever, like you you nosedive, you're done. Yep. So it's frustrating because there were some really good BYU teams in the WCC that maybe didn't get a shot that they deserved, and maybe this BYU team's not as good as a seven seed, but 
We'll find out in March. But you know, what? I'm not going to BYU's not going to apologize. They're in the Big Twelve. Oh, yeah. They don't care. But as I think, I just think you know, Utah. I think they're good enough to be in the field of 68. I think they're a good team, and they got the size to do that. I think be a factor. Yeah. But I just think that they're kind of hurt because the net is against them because yeah. the opponents left are not. Uh, they don't have the resumes, yeah. and before you even tip off the games, even if you just dump them, it might not work in your favor because these teams have a lower net rating. Yeah, Utah being punished because UCLA is having a down year, honestly, yeah, it's, because it's, the whole league is USC being down. A lot of teams in the uh, Pac-12 were better. Um, but you know what? It just hasn't been good enough for yeah. Utah. They they should they were in a position, a great position, and you can't have a late-season swoon like this. I think they're going to get punished for it. Weber State, we all know it comes down to the Big Sky Tournament. Yeah. They lost on Saturday at Idaho State. Idaho State. The regular season championship's not going to happen, but give me Dylan Jones, three games in Boise at Starch Madness. I'm all in on the Wildcats winning that bid, upsetting Eastern Washington. I think the Wildcats are going to be in the tournament, so don't be surprised to see that. All right, we got to take a short break. When we come back, more way too early Big 12. It's one of the favorite topics we have here on JJ and Alex. <laughs> this time we have... Conference title odds for the Big 12. You're going to love this. BYU and Utah fans. We'll have that and more next. JJ and Alex, 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Love it. This is what you get. You're listening to JJ and Alex. Presented by G2G Bars. Don't touch that dial. On 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Step inside. Walk this way. You and me, babe. Hey, hey. Don't pour sugar on me. Don't do it. I'm not going to like it. You can catch Def Leppard on the Summer Stadium Tour 2024. Yes, Def Leppard is still performing as they make a stop at Utah First Credit Union Amphitheater on September 10th. Get your tickets now at LiveNation.com or listen to The Zone all day on Thursday, February 29th for your chance to win. Speaking of chances to win, a perfect segue for the way too early college football conference title odds, they are out. Vegas has released this information. Viva Las Vegas! <laughs> Viva Las Vegas! Viva! Viva Las Vegas! Let's go! Perfect Here we go, Mitch. Represent, representation of Vegas right there. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Kelsey. So, way too early. Big 12 odds. Let's go through this. Mitch, I'd like to get your reaction to these odds. Uh, again, Vegas. This is a little different than one of us media idiots <laughs> getting on the web or getting on TV or radio and saying this is what we I think. am an idiot. So keep that in mind. I am an idiot, but this is not my work. This is not my doing, so don't get mad at me if you don't like what we're about to say here. This is what Vegas is posting. It's Again, it's, this is to get you to bet. All right, so that's what that's what this is for. They want you to place money, and this is what they're doing to get you to do it. All right? So they do it by giving, I don't know. Well, there's, these are not even wins, right? It's just odds. They're not even doing – we already did that, what, a couple weeks ago, Jeremy? The, uh, the wins, losses, so over-under on wins, losses. So that's not what this is. This is which team has the best odds to win the conference title. Before I do this, Mitch, again, way too early. 
We haven't had spring football. There's still the potential of more transfer portal. In 2024, anything can happen in any day in college football. I have no idea. But right now, as of today, who do you think is the favorite to win the Big 12? I'd probably go Utah. Yeah. I'd probably say that Utah is probably the, the betting favorite. Is that what it is? No, it's not. Interesting. It is interesting. Now, I will tell you this, Mitch, on this day right now, and I flip-flopped on this, but after the schedules came down, it helped me formulate some things uh, and, and parse things out and get a little better feel for what might happen because not everybody plays everybody, right? Right. So, for instance, Utah's not playing the Kansas schools in West Virginia. Schedule was very favorable to Utah. Okay, BYU, on the other hand, is dealing with a gauntlet. Their odds, because of their schedule, go down because of the strength of schedule is much more difficult than Utah's. But uh, I like Kansas State and Utah in the uh, Big 12 championship game. And then from there, we will see. But it's interesting because those two teams aren't going to play each other in the regular season. Now, Utah will play Oklahoma State. They'll play Arizona, who I think are other contenders. This is what Vegas thinks. Let me run through these, Mitch, and you can stop in. Tell me if there's any of these that you think are interesting or out of whack or surprise you. Kansas State is uh, three to one odds. Utah's not far behind, seven to two, plus three fifty. That doesn't, you know, surprise me as much when you when you lay it out there with Kansas State because the losses that they had in the transfer portal were probably more. Mutual, like yeah, probably in the best interest for both parties to. They might for be you upgrading a quarterback. Yes, I, I do believe that with Avery Johnson and let's just call it what it is. They've got Pop Tart Bowl karma on their side. Ah, so no, that but, is a thing. <laughs> you know, you wonder too. Like, what's the team in the Big Twelve that just teams want to lay down the action or fans? Because Texas was always that team. Yeah, or so it's like their their odds are always elevated. Uh, because that's where the action lies. That's how this works. Yes. Uh, for those of you at the, all education, all, all uh, entertainment Educate purposes. us on how Vegas works, Mitch. <laughs> entertainment purposes. Uh, but uh, Kansas State uh, is a very good football team. And I think, like Utah, they've had some consistency where you know what you're getting from them. Because what's tough about the Big 12 is that, yes, it's a – Weird hodgepodge from Orlando, Morgantown to Salt Lake and Tucson and Tempe. Uh, it, it's just like all these teams, wild uh, chain of, of results. It's just any year can ha- it can be something different where these two teams have consistency. And Kleiman and Whittingham, I think, are the two best coaches in the league. Agree. And I think that that gives them the upper hand going into a new world. Like this is a power conference league. Yet it's basically a startup. It's this is a new thing. I mean, this is basically rewrite the record books, the history. This is a new conference with a new story to be told, and these two teams look to be the favorites early on. Absolutely. So I said Utah was second, seven to two odds plus three fifty. Kansas comes in third, thirteen to two odds plus six fifty. I'm not going to explain what all this means. Uh, Arizona seven to one. They are fourth. What do you think about that? I think that that's that's fair. And since you know our way too early picks right after New Year's on on KSL Sports, obviously big coaching change yeah. with Jed Fish. But I think that you know Arizona. I just think there's this assumption with any sort of coaching change, it's going to maybe have a little bit of a feeling out process, new personality, new leadership. I don't think Brent Brennan's this known commodity where you say he steps in and just instantly wins. Like I don't know. Uh, with San Jose State, he had that great year in COVID. But outside of that, like San Jose State was 
kind of mediocre. Now, that's right. a that's a program that limited resources, not much commitment. The fact that he even was a somewhat consistent team and won some SEC venues, that speaks to his coaching ability maybe. But uh, Arizona, like this is the most – preseason hype Arizona's probably got since the days of Dick Tomey, Desert Swarm. I mean, like, you know, late 90s. It's Which been a minute. concerns me. Yes, yeah, so. This is not a comfortable position for Arizona. They don't know what I had of this. This is not basketball where they're used to that. But football, they don't understand this world. So that could be very difficult for them. And maybe it's wise to have them a little bit lower on the prognostications in the odd side. And Noah Fafita came on the scene last year as a freshman. Everyone knows who he is yes. now. They'll scout for him. I think it's going to be more difficult for him, uh, at least a little bit in the Big 12. He'll have to overcome that. I'll rip through the rest of these. Texas Tech, 8-1. to one. Fifth. UCF, 10-1. to one. Sixth. A little high, but there's a lot of yeah. – their over-under for wins was high, too. R.J. Harvey, K.J. Jefferson, probably maybe the most explosive backfield, like big star power there. Vegas loves UCF. Yes. Iowa State next at 12-1 to one odds. I like them. So that's seventh. It could be really good. Oklahoma State, 16-1 to one at eighth. This is the one I'm like – no, I'm pretty sure they got the best running back in the country. I know their quarterback is mid. This team's going to be better than seventh or eighth in the conference. It's just the the wide range of probabilities with them. I mean, they, they can they're either going to get blown out or they're going to win some game in epic fashion, like they did against BYU. I mean, to to comprehend a team that gets blown out by South Alabama, gets blown out by 42 to UCF, but yet. Beats Oklahoma, gets to the Big 12 title game, just kind of a wild probability. And the thing is, too, is that their recruiting trends are sliding steep. They're 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 putting together their worst recruiting classes mm. ever under Mike Gundy. I don't know how much the the sharps are looking at that sort of action, but there are some trends that may make it go long term in this new Big 12. Is Oklahoma State going to be near the top? TCU ninth at 16 to one odds. West Virginia tenth. 22 to 1 odds. Baylor, 45 wow. to 1 odds. Colorado, 50 to 1 odds. They got Baylor over Colorado. That's interesting. Cincinnati, 66 to mm. 1 odds. Arizona State, 100 to 1. There's one team I haven't mentioned yet, and we're down to 14. Now 15. Houston, 101 odds. Wow. Coming in at last, BYU, 125 to 1 odds. How much money are you placing on <laughs> BYU in Wendover when we're done with the show? <laughs> Uh, I'm not laying down any action on that. You're not going to put your mortgage down on that? <laughs> no, I am not. You're not, you're, you're not going to get a life insurance policy for your for your elderly uh, grandmother? <laughs> no, no AT&T Stadium for BYU this, no. this year. I feel pretty confident in that. You're not going to have to fake your own death <laughs> to get the insurance money to pay for your gambling debts on that one? <laughs> no, nothing like that. But, yeah, that's, that's surprising to think BYU in the 16th spot, but – I can understand it. Because we talked about it in the opening segment. You, If you rank the quarterback units in this league, BYU's probably 16th. And mm. look, Houston might be 15th uh, because they brought in a quarterback from Louisiana to battle with Donovan Smith, the, the returning starter. But, I mean, that's just what it is. I think a lot of that's tied into the quarterback play. And statistically, when you dive into the numbers of Big 12 games for BYU last year, it wasn't pretty. It just, it just was not good. And and BYU did not play well at all. And again, like they're a new team, like so many are in this league, because it's all new. But like BYU doesn't, you don't know what they are. Like what yeah. do they want to be? Like I think you, I know they want to be a physical, kind of like a carbon copy of what Utah is, because that's the same scheme defensively they're going to run. 
But offensively, what are you going to be in this league? I, I don't know yet. I, I, is it going to be a pivot to more of a physical ground attack and relying on the ground game? Maybe, because that's we're seeing that shift in college football with Michigan winning the national title. Maybe teams are going to lean into that, and that's where BYU goes. But until you get kind of some sort of identity in this conference, uh, that's kind of fair to put BYU in that spot. There you go. There's your way too early Big 12 Conference Championship rankings by odds in Vegas. Wild. All right, we got to take a break. Up next, should we throw court stormers in jail? Some head coaches in college basketball would like us to. I'm kidding. But there's a lot of sharp words, a lot of debate. We're going to put in our two cents here coming up next on JJ and Alex, 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Great. Ladies and gentlemen, you're locked into JJ and Alex with the insight and analysis on the teams you can't live without. Presented by G2G Bars. This is 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. JJ and Alex, 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. I would love to be storming into a weekend right now, but we're doing the opposite. We're coming out of a weekend, but we're gonna we're gonna plow through this Monday as we continue to do so. We hope all of you are enjoying the show wherever you're listening, whether it's for a little bit or the whole time, whether you're in your car or it's still at work. We appreciate you. Thanks for listening, Jer- Jeremiah Jensen, Mitch Harper, sitting in for Alex Curie today, and we're having a good time. Uh, you know who didn't have a good time on Saturday was Duke. Duke basketball, they lost at Wake Forest, which if you're Duke basketball. That's pretty rough. I've actually been to Wake Forest. I went uh, there last year with uh, Utah Valley to experience oh, wow. a road trip with them, and I got to go see a game at Wake Forest, the house that Tim Duncan built. I don't even know if that's true. Chris Paul obviously <laughs> went to Wake Forest as well. They have a good loan line, but uh, their basketball program's always been in the shadow of Duke. And so when Wake Forest beats Duke at home, obviously the students are going to get a little riled up, and – I'm sure that students at Wake Forest probably had a little bit too much to drink before the game started. And what did we have on Saturday? We had a problem because uh, Duke's Kyle Filipowski was injured by a fan on the court during Wake Forest fans storming the court. And it caused all kinds of controversy. And I'm sure everyone's talking about it today. And we're no different. We're going to do it for a short segment here. But, Mitch, I wanted to get your thoughts. What do we do about court storming? Love it, hate it. Should we get rid of it? I love the image of it, but I think we got to get rid of it. Yeah. I think it's got to go by the wayside because it's a cool visual, but like think about the Super Bowl. You know, we had a streaker on that one. The camera's not panning to it. Like we don't we don't highlight and promote any sort of person going on the field to play for football or anything like that, but basketball, we kind of romanticize this court storming deal, but it's just not safe and when you do mix probably we don't know for sure but probably alcohols oh, can be consumed by these yeah, college students it's gonna uh, create these situations where a student's knee bangs into philip kowski's knee and well now the, one of the top players in the acc and in college basketball this year got a banged up knee and that's just not a that's not a good thing and i just feel like We've got to get rid of them, and they, they, I think also, too, because they happen so often for some places. Credit the people in this market. They don't storm the court for much. Like, I can't recall. There's probably two at BYU. Huntsman Center hasn't had many over the years that I can recall. No. Uh, like, 
it takes a lot for a court storming. So I guess our market, we understand like when it happens, it's a big deal. Yeah, Utah State fans didn't storm the court when they beat San Diego no. State the other day. But I just I think we can move on from them. And yeah. I, 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 but I, I don't know how you actually enforce it. Does it have to be 150 security people in bright colored shirts with security tape? Is that what it's got to be? Do you have to arrest them? As some people have said, I think that's a bit extreme, but. Is that the fear that's got to be placed in these students? Like, hey, if you step on the floor. If you jump on the field at a Major League Baseball stadium, an NFL stadium, or even you run out on the court in the NBA stadium, you will be arrested. Yeah. It says it on your ticket. It's true. So arresting actually yeah. would do the trick. Here's another one that Alabama AD Greg Byrne uh, proposed. He wants to levy a forfeit Wow. if teams storm the court. So imagine Wake Forest <laughs> having this huge, massive win over Duke. And Wake Forest is on the bubble. Yeah. They're trying to get in the NCAA tournament. They got a good chance. That win helped their cause. I think they're the last team in right now or their first team out. They're right there. Imagine having to forefoot that game and having your bubble burst because your stupid fans ran on the court when they knew they couldn't and you got to forefoot the win. Well, the thing is with this one, too, was that I believe there was 0.5 ticks left on the clock. Like it wasn't a full clock is expired. There was some game action left, games in the bag. But still, some actual game time left. The ball was still being dribbled on the court when fans entered, and the court and the fans are there, and that's why the Duke players are still on the court. And I I just think they've got to maybe a thirty second hold to let the other team get off the court, and then let them have their fun. Maybe you just have the players go into the stands and celebrate with the students and crowd surf, and maybe you do it in there. I don't know, but I just feel like it's it's got to be done because. With social media now, everything becomes very polarizing, and you see the clips. And when you, what, the moment I saw this, I'm like, it's Duke. It's a top player. This is the end of court storming because <laughs> Duke is just one of those polarizing brands in college sports where you either hate them or you love them, and they conjure up an opinion. So when it's them involved and they got a top player, like, yeah, this is going to be a, a controversy, and, and rightfully so because you don't want to see a top player getting hurt because a student bangs his knee into that guy, it's just not necessary. And really, there's no need for those those students to be on the court to begin with. And I know it does sound fun, but it's just a safety issue. You don't want some player to then throw a swing at a student because that could happen. I mean, the, the emotions are high after a tough loss. If someone starts swinging. Who's, who's to say that wouldn't go down? So just avoid that altogether. I don't want to see it go away. And let me explain why. It, it So I think you can prevent what happened by holding the fans off the court until the other team leaves and then let the kids pour onto the court and have their fun. They're in college. It's awesome. It allows them to be part of the experience because that is what this is about. Yeah, It's a college experience for not only the players playing, but why are students coming to the game? To be a part of what's happening on their campus, school pride, and having that moment and sharing it with their team that represents them. Don't take that away from the kids. Okay, I think it matters. I think it's important. You, I've been on the field during court stor- uh, field stormings at Utah, at BYU, at Utah State, and the energy is unbelievable. Yeah. Do I worry a little bit? Is it a little uncomfortable out there, standing in the middle while all these kids are running around? <laughs> sure, but it's a spectacle. And let me tell you, as somebody who's done television for a long time, I put highlights together all the time. Slam dunks, uh, game-winning threes, and court storming are the three most popular highlight things that get the most attention, that are the best video that we show. Not fights? Four. <laughs> fights. Okay? Fights don't happen as often as the yeah. other three. So I'll throw fights in there. Yeah, okay. But you get my point, yeah. Mitch. Yeah. So you want to take one of these away? 
No, not ideally, but I you feel see like what it, I'm saying. But I feel like, like it's got to it happen. Is, it is a highlight. It is a visual. It is part of the game. It is a tradition. It is a part of the college football and basketball experience. And you eliminate it, and it takes another thing away from the tradition that we're already whining about is being chipped away because of what? TV and money. And what would that be? The man continues to ruin the game, right? If you're a student, the man won't let us rush the field. The man makes us play at 10 p.m. or 9 a.m. because it's because the Fox said so. You get what I'm saying here? Yeah. Like it I becomes do. more corporate and more stale, and you lose what's special about it. So I understand the concerns like you that people have. It's a safety thing. I think that it's if managed properly. You can have the best of both worlds, get the opposing team off the floor, shake the hands, get to your locker room, and then let those kids go out. You can contain that crowd for 15, 20 seconds, which is plenty of time for them to shake hands and get to the locker room. If they can pull that off, then by all means, do it. But that was a failure of epic proportions, That's it felt the problem. like. That's Wake Forest, Forest blew it. They totally blew it, and even their AD acknowledged as much that they they dropped the ball. And and I just I feel like you, just, you don't want the risk of – those emotions. I mean, it just feels like when you have a tough loss, and to, to some degree, that's a rivalry game, probably more for the Wake Forest side, but conference game with high stakes involved, you just hate to see some student get in the face. I mean, I remember, what was it, Utah Storms of Field 2012, and gets that student gets in the face of Bronco? Bronco's yeah. ready about to go. I was standing face. right there. Suspenders. <laughs> hey, like, suspenders, how you doing 12 years yeah. later? What are you up to these days? I mean, can you just – I just feel like that those sort of things could a defining moment in the rivalry. We're going to get one of those one of these days yeah. and then that's going to ruin it and so the day uh, Bronco Mendenhall almost <laughs> committed murder. I was standing right there. Wow. But it's part of the it's just, it's part of the tradition. So I, I it feel is like an epic visual. You've though. got to figure out how to make it work for both ways cuz you don't want it to go away but yeah. yes, it does need to be more safe. The the facilities have to do a better job. All right. That was awesome. We got to take a break. It's time for Jazz Daily when we come back. The Jazz with a nice win last night over the Spurs, who aren't good, but man, Victor Wimbanyama sure is. We'll talk about that and about this developing young Jazz squad coming up next. JJ and Alex, 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. You know what's coming. Your daily deep dive into everything Utah Jazz. It's time! All season long and even in the offseason, it's Jazz Daily with J.J. and Alex on your exclusive home of Utah Jazz basketball. 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Basketball, give me, give me, give me the ball because I'm gonna dunk it! Basketball, give me, give me, give me. Time Saturday Night Live skits with a sports theme. Where does basketball rock rank? It's got to be probably top three. Oh, I think so. Yeah. 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 Peyton Manning. Uh, <laughs> That's an all-time. Playing right? flag football with kids. <laughs> way up there, too. Uh, we've got uh, something Saturday Night Live did this weekend. It's, uh, it's an all-timer, so stick around <laughs> for that. If you missed it, we've got the audio. It's very funny. So we'll get to that here soon, but... Uh, the item at hand right now is the Utah Jazz. They get the win on Sunday night. A Sunday night home game. We're getting used to the Sunday night home games. They have four this season. So 
Um, that was the second. They played the Bucks earlier on a Sunday at home. So that's something new for you Jazz fans. And let me tell you, Jazz fans showed up on a Sunday night. This, this myth that Jazz fans wouldn't fill the building on Sundays, it is exactly that. It is a myth. Uh, great atmosphere last night. And, of course, why wouldn't there be Victor Wembanyama in town to face the Utah Jazz? The Jazz get a win over the Spurs. And it is time for our Jazz Daily. Um, and that's what we're going to start the show uh, this hour with. But first, call us now to give us the Rocky Mountain Chevy Dealers Play of the Week. We ready for this, Jeremy? Yes, we are. Okay, here we go. Call us now to give us the Rocky Mountain Chevy Dealers Play of the Week. We gave it out this morning on DJ and PK. Be caller 12 now at 801-575-9663. That's 801-575-9663. Tell us the play to be our winner. With an impressive lineup of cars, trucks, and SUVs, it's no wonder that people are switching to Chevy, Rocky Mountain Chevy Dealers. Show obviously always brought to you by G2G Bars and Trajan Wealth, your local financial fiduciary. Go to TrajanWealth.com and learn more about them. But it is time for the Jazz Daily, and it is the cut. It's time for the biggest story of the day. This is what made the cut with JJ and Alex on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. The Utah Jazz get a win over the San Antonio Spurs last night. Took care of business at home. Again, they should win. The Spurs, a team with 11 wins this season. Jazz win 128 to 109. Jazz now 27 and 31 on the season. Uh, a lot of things to discuss in this game. Uh, Larry Markkinen, back to his old form. Played really well. Shot the ball really well. He'd been struggling from three recently, but not last night. Five of eight from three. Ten of 18 from the field. 26 points to lead the Jazz. They also got Jordan Clarkson firing on all cylinders. Four of eight from three. 22 points. That was good to see. And uh, Colin Sexton continues to play really well. 16 points. 10 assists. Four Steals. Four steals by Colin Sexton. I love Colin Sexton. I love what he's doing. I think Colin Sexton is an important part of this franchise moving forward. But, Mitch, it's all about the young guys, right? And before we get to that, I think we have to talk about the elephant in the room. It wasn't about the Jazz last night. It was about Victor Wembanyama. Uh, A lot of hype. Probably the most hyped player in the draft since LeBron James. Would you agree? I agree. Absolutely. I mean, that's... He was a name we've been hearing about since he was, what, 15? I mean, he's just been the name that's been, uh, you know, as viewed as the number one guy. So his size and combination of athleticism and skill at that height is just kind of so unique. And then I think everyone, any market he goes to, they're just fascinated to see it up and close in person. I mean, just seeing that video on our KSL Sports IG stories yesterday, seeing him put up a shot on at court level and just go, you just marvel at the yeah. size and the length of that guy. And that's on a that's on a screen. I can only imagine just in person what that looked like because that's just just a, a, such a unique body type seeing Wembenyama roll in. There were a lot of plays that he made last night that just left you going, oh my goodness, <laughs> yeah. this guy is unbelievable. We've never seen anything like him to be able to move like he can at his size and his length, the athleticism that he possesses at that size and that length is unprecedented. There was a play where he blocked Lowry Markin and shot. Now, Larry Markin is a seven-footer, and he made Lowry Markin look like a 6'4 point guard. Yeah, He just swallowed him up. And that was at that point, because I've stood next to Lowry Markin 
in awe. I mean, if you have stood next to Lowry Markin in person, he is like 1% of 1% on the planet Earth. Like, he's just a special physical specimen, and Victor Wembanyama made him look small. It was unbelievable. But I look at Victor Wembanyama's potential, and there's a lot there. Yet, Mitch, this team is 11-47. and 47. That's a bad basketball team. And before I get to the Jazz youngsters, I wanted to pose this question to you. There's a lot of young teams in the league right now. The Jazz are among a group of teams in the NBA whose average age is 24 years of age. And the Spurs are among them, and so are the Oklahoma City Thunder. There are some really good young teams in this league that you look at, and okay, where do the Jazz match up? Because if you talk about, and you always hear this um, on being a, on a schedule or you know time frame, you know with roster building, you don't want to put some 33-year-old high-priced veterans with a bunch of 20-year-old players, right? Yeah. You want to have guys on the ta- on the same time frame, and so the Jazz look around and they're thinking, okay, what teams in the league are on the same time frame? We are well, the Thunder and the Spurs are among those teams. Are the Jazz, where do they stand in that group? Because I think that's important to note, because if this team's going to compete moving forward, they're going to have to beat the Thunder. They're going to have to beat the Spurs. Feels to me like they're at least behind the Thunder. We know that for sure. The Spurs are a different story. What's What do they need to do, How and how do they build around Wimbanyama? I, I, oh, go ahead. Oh, there's just a lot of questions. I'm, I guess I'm throwing around a lot of questions here because I do have a lot of thoughts and questions about this because the Spurs are interesting because they got this generational talent in Victor Wimbanyama, but they don't have a lot around him right now, and, and how do they build around him? Yeah, I I feel like they are so much farther behind than I was expecting uh, with year one of Wimbanyama because when you bring up that he's, and I agree, the biggest draft prospect since LeBron, I thought instantly he's going to make a weak Spurs roster, about a 35-40 win team. Mm-hmm. That. that when you're talking about a generational guy, that's what LeBron did for the Cavs yeah. when he stepped in. I think there were, what, 37, 38 wins in year one. Spurs aren't competitive. I I, I think the Jazz are way farther ahead in uh, being on a, a rebuild than the Spurs right now. I mean, Sohan is a guy, is a nice piece. But outside of that, I, I'm not really in love with that roster than anything the Spurs have. I feel like there's a lot more needed uh, to pair up with Wem and Yama. And, because I just thought that he could be good enough uh, to be a guy that could just carry them uh, to you know thirty something wins in year one, maybe that was too much for a young player that uh, they're going to be delicate with everything about him, and it's a different era of the NBA than what it was when LeBron stepped in in '03. But I, I feel a lot better about the Jazz rebuild, you know, than farther ahead than what the the Spurs are at. And and last night too, you know, looking at one of the veteran guys, I liked what I saw from Clarkson, you know, coming off the bench, giving 10 assists. And I thought the passing last night from the Jazz was was quite quite entertaining to watch. I mean, a lot of assists being dished out by the Jazz. So I just think that this Jazz franchise, uh, you want to see more from these young guys, but I feel like they're farther ahead in the, in the rebuild than the Spurs, who are still a ways away compared to having a generational prospect like Wembenyama. I wonder, it's going to be an interesting rookie of the year vote because Wembenyama is a freak of nature and he yeah. has been good and his numbers are good too, but 11 wins. Yeah. Like you need you to have that. more of an impact in the win column. Whereas you look at the Thunder, now look, Shea Gilgis Alexander is an MVP candidate. So Chet Holmgren's playing with an MVP, okay? So it's a little different situation. And Jalen Williams with the Thunder is crazy good. And Chet, too, is 
year two. Like, you, you, like I know yeah. he's out last year, but still around an exactly. NBA franchise, kind of an ethos of of the NBA. But that's where the rookie he's in the rookie yeah, year know, conversation. So that's what he's up. We against. know that all too well in this market. Yes, we do. Yes, deal. we do. So is <laughs> is Czech going to win the rookie of the year over Wembenyama? I think so. I think so because wins do matter. Wins do matter, and then that's ultimately, I think, the the trump card in that. And and Wembyama Wembyama is just uh, skilled and talented enough to where he just he shows up and he just wows you. Like he's just kind of like that wow guy. But even Holmgren, to a lesser degree, is kind of a wow guy. I mean, I remember watching him in college and just the swarm of NBA executives and scouts that funneled into Provo to see that guy uh, compete. I mean, it was a big deal back then, and he's lived up to it in his first full season in the league coming back from injury. And I think that might be even more impressive when you do come back from injury and you're still playing at a high level and contributing to a team that's really dang good with an MVP piece. So I would go with Holmgren because I do think you got to be part of a team that's winning. It's You can't just give it to a guy that's – Going through, I mean, they're not going to get to 15 wins, like at best 15, right? Right. Spurs, I, mean, I mean, they're going to struggle to get to 20. There's no doubt about that. Like, there's, there's only 20. They got 11 and 47 doing the math here really 24. quickly. They got 24 games left. They'd have to get to, they'd have to split those almost to get to 20, right? That's not going to happen. No. They'll win four or five more games this season probably, which is nuts. Uh, but still, Wembenyama, 22 points, 10 rebounds, five blocks last night in just 27 minutes of play, nine of 17 from the field. Even hit a three. He's just doing things that players just don't do. I mean, because of his size and his athleticism, it's we've just never seen anything like him before. So watching him, it was awesome to actually see it uh, in person to see how good he is. He's going to be special. The question is just going to be, can the Spurs build a roster around him that's going to allow them to take advantage of what they have there? Well, I think also, too, my expectations in year one were – Maybe a little bit too high because they just always believe the Spurs are just a quick rebuild away. Like they're 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 never going to be in the doldrums. They've forever. always been good. And just to, to when you get a guy like Wembenyama, it's like all right, they're back. They're going to be at least 35, 40 wins. And so for them to go eleven wins is surprising. But they are just one big piece away, and they're back in contention because how good Wembenyama is and will be to be year two or year one already getting you know twenty two points a game. But uh, you'd feel like you just there'd be a greater impact and, and more game-winning moments and carrying the team to more victories. Like that just makes you pause a bit, and maybe he just needs another superstar piece, like so many superstars need. And once they get that, then away they go, and they're going to be, uh, you know, I think that they are ahead of the Jazz in the fact that they've got the elite superstar uh you yeah. know or like the jazz don't have that but i just i also like the trajectory of the jazz rebuild uh again because i feel like you know year one skewed the view of what this rebuild's going to be i always looked at it as like a five-year deal that's going to take time and i still think at year two of this build uh, i think the jazz are still in a pretty good spot long term to really build this thing back but the, the fact that the spurs already have got a a superstar, and once they get another one, and then it's they're back in title contention, and that's maybe just what they need right now to to get another piece around him. I got a hot take for you on the Spurs. What's that? They need a new head coach. They need to make a change at head coach, and they're not going to because it's Greg Popovich, and he's a Hall of Famer, and he's one of the all-time greats. Many would say he's the greatest NBA coach of all time, but there's clearly some staleness there, and they got him a long-term extension on him. And I'm just not sure he's got the fire and the energy that you need right now. Like you look at around That's the league, Will Hardy, that those are the kind of coaches Mark Dagnall in with the uh, Thunder. 
you look around the league and there's some really good young coaches in this league. Uh, Ty Lue's still relatively young. Um, you, you look at uh, just there's young coaches all over the league for the most part that are having success. And I think the Spurs need an infusion of youth in that coaching position. Pop's one of the all-time greats. He's going to go out on his own terms because he's earned that. And the Spurs are going to give him that, but they shouldn't, to be honest. Yeah. I think a new coach would help accelerate their plan. That's me. I like that because I think that would be – because that voice can sometimes get uh, – you know, it might fall flat with this new generation of, of players. And, I mean, what, he's been coaching there since 96, 97? Yes. When the days of David Robinson, Sean Elliott. Uh, I mean, that it's been a minute. Yeah. It's like that's been a long time uh, with – with Popovich on the bench. So I, I'm not opposed to that at all. I think that would be a wise move to go in that new direction. I think that's one of the reasons I, I'm optimistic about the Jazz long-term is because of Will Hardy and how he's not satisfied with you know, these moments where they get a few wins and people are like, oh, all right, they're going to maybe make the playoffs this year. It's like, no, he's like calling it out and and he's he's willing to uh, – he, he understands that this is something where they got to continue to get better every single night. They're nowhere near that. And, you know, I, I think Popovich being moved would – would be a move that could maybe help the the Spurs get the most, maybe get more out of Victor Wembanyama in years to come. Absolutely, I just think you have a young team. You need to have a young coach allow them to grow together, just like he did with Tim yeah. Duncan and David Robinson during those years, and of course Ginobili and Tony Parker after that. All right, real quick, we'll wrap up this Jags segment. Just want to hit some of the young players. Taylor Hendricks, nine points, three rebounds, but where his impact was really felt was defensively. He had a block. He actually guarded Wembanyama really well. Did a nice and job. I'm watching that game, and I'm thinking, wow, oh, the Jazz got something here because Hendricks has defensive potential. And we're going to pick apart Taylor Hendricks like crazy over the next 24 games because that's the focus right now is these young players. And even Bryce Sensabaugh, who we're going to pick apart, played six, 16 minutes last night, hit a three, five points. Uh, I'm liking some things from him. Keontae George, three of 13 from the field, one of four from three. He really cooled off, but he actually played the game really well. It's just seven points, but six assists. Got the team where they needed to be. Six assists to three turnovers. I'll live with that. That's pretty darn good uh, at the NBA level. Uh, so Keontae, I think, is doing fine. He didn't have the 33-point uh, game that he had uh, last week, but I think these young players are coming along, and there's some good things going with those guys. Uh, and that's how you have to look at the Jazz right now. And then you know the veterans showed up on uh, – on, and John Collins. Let's give John Collins some love. Uh, 20 points, 8 rebounds, 2 steals, 2 blocks. He had a nice game. He was also dealing with the length of Wembenyama, but he played good as well. Yeah, these last 24 games, I think you make a good point that you just you want to see, you know, get that heading into the summer, whatever it ends up shaking out down the stretch. Because you got the, the Hawks tomorrow night, Quinn Snyder game. Uh, you want to see just these young guys continue to get better every single night and get some momentum heading into the offseason to when whatever trade options become available and – you know, these free agent targets or whatever it may be, the way you acquire your roster next year, you want these guys to be like, okay, I'm going into a franchise with this dude. Like, we can do something yeah. pretty great. And that's, that's you know, that, that's what's exciting too. Sometimes these rebuilds can be taxing on fans because you're like, do we really want to win? Like, what do, what do we want out of this game? But you just want these youngsters to continue to get better and show you the flashes that say, okay, when these additional pieces come into the mix and they will eventually, whenever it happens, uh, these guys are going to be primed and ready to, you know, when that acquisition happens, to go get into the upper tier of this Western Conference in the future. 
Jazz end the five-game losing streak. Now head out on a three-game road trip starting tomorrow night against the Atlanta Hawks. First time the Jazz are facing Quinn Snyder as the head coach. Trey Young's out. He will not play. Also, Orlando and Miami on that southeastern road trip. You can hear all those games right here on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. we got to take a break. The NFL Blitz is next. JJ and Alex, 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. All the latest news and notes from the league and the locals in the NFL. JJ and Alex bring you the NFL Blitz Ah! on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Welcome back. 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. JJ and Alex, another segment with the great Mitch Harper. Mitch has been fun today. And it's awesome to I get to do a segment with you with the NFL Blitz. Because I'm excited. We both love the NFL. Yes, we do. We spend a lot of time in college because that's our jobs here in this market. But we love the NFL as fans. So this is a point in the show where you get to make fun of me because I'm a Broncos fan. <laughs> well, I'm a Raiders and, fan, so well, yeah, you got a lot to poke at with I'm me, a, too. Which of us gets beat up more right now? <laughs> I'm going with me because of Russell Wilson. It's been a rough uh, couple of years with Russell Wilson at the Broncos, and it has not gone as anyone expected, and the Broncos basically uh, mortgaged the franchise to pick him up, and it's been a disaster. So, apparently, Russell Wilson thinks he's got two more Super Bowls in him, Mitch. Your reaction? <laughs> well, it's it's that. It's, it's a laughing reaction. It's a laugh ride. No, I mean, I think that, you know, it's just been kind of a, you know, when he got traded to Denver, I thought, man, that's going to be the perfect you know, pairing, and he's going to lead Denver to two more Super Bowls, and it's going to be another great tenure with a you know a, a legendary quarterback going into his twilight of his career in Denver. But it's just completely been the opposite. And look, I think it's a quarterback that's you know going to stay positive, just like a shooter is going to say, "I'm going to make the next shot." But uh, it just hasn't worked, and I feel like Russell Wilson has been you know really one of the you know bottom ten quarterbacks in the NFL the past two years. And I think he's just trying to, you know, kind of get the narrative out there that he still got it. But, I mean, if I'm Denver, I'm, I'm looking for the next big thing in the draft coming up in April and get that quarterback because Russell Wilson just isn't it. He says he wants to win two more Super Bowls. That makes me laugh. He says he hopes it's in Denver. That makes me want to cry. <laughs> it, in all seriousness, yes, when he was in his prime, Russell Wilson was great. His prime's not there anymore. And it's often hard. We talked about Cam Newton earlier in the show. You see guys that are at their peak at their greatest – almost reach an Hall of Fame type level, Russell Wilson was there. He's not that quarterback anymore, and there seems to be a little bit of delusion with that, and I think that's impacting his thinking and his performance. There needs to be some humility there, in my opinion, and Sean Payton really didn't get that humility out of him, in my opinion, and so I think he needs to move on. I think it'd be best for the Broncos. I think it'd be best for him. In all seriousness, I don't want to sit here and beat up on Russell Wilson. He's had a great career, and he might have something in him. Yeah. I just don't think he's going to find it in Denver, especially with the disappointment of the last few years. Perhaps it's with the Steelers. Maybe they want to give him a shot. We've heard those rumors, but it's not in Denver. I think he needs to move on. I think the Broncos need to move on. Hopefully he can find that, but um, like like you, I get that he thinks he can win two Super Bowls. Every great athlete thinks they can do great things. Patrick Mahomes is in his division right now, so it's not going to happen. And there were games last year that Wilson did give you glimmers of hope, unlike two years ago where it was just every week was just a 
where, where Russell Wilson's just a shell of himself, and maybe right. you just chalk that up to the private coaching with Jay Keeps. I, I don't know, but <laughs> that that was I mean that was probably his biggest blunder. You Russell Wilson. To pull I, I had to pull that in, but last year at least there were moments where Russell Wilson looked like his you know Seattle self yes. and I think that's where there, there's glimmers to build on but it just was so inconsistent when you're like you said when you're in the AFC West with Patrick Mahomes you have to have at a minimum a top five quarterback to win the division yeah. I mean to even contend for the division because Mahomes isn't going anywhere anytime soon I mean Mahomes is going to be the guy with how the rules are for quarterbacks he's going to be in the league probably until he's 40 I mean it, it, he's someone that can he's going to evolve and he's going to continue to be the face of that franchise forever for Kansas City as long as he stays healthy so I think that's what kind of puts the pressure on Denver and really all the teams in that division to really improve that spot because Mahomes in a year where the Chiefs were as vulnerable as they were they still win it so I think it just kind of amplifies everyone's quarterback rooms going forward into this offseason yeah well Russell Wilson isn't what he used to be and neither is the running back position in the NFL Mitch Imagine when you were younger believing that it would become where it is today where <laughs> yeah. it's just not valued. It's yeah. one of the less valued positions in the NFL, and NFL free agency is going to be interesting because at the running back position, Derek Henry, who's one of the greats, Josh Jacobs, Austin Eckler, Tony Pollard, Saquon Barkley, these are big names. They didn't get franchise tag. They're going to be free agents. It's really interesting. Those are some big names, but are they going to get big money? Yeah, I, I don't think so. I, I mean, if, if Saquon Barkley last offseason was struggling and had the holdouts and Jonathan Smith or Jonathan Taylor, the, the, the struggles that they had in getting contracts, I, I can't imagine it's going to be anything different again for Barkley and, and these guys going into free agency. I, I just kind of wonder long term what happens with the running back position. Do young athletes look to avoid that playing that position and you don't see uh, the productive stars. I mean, maybe there's always going to be someone that wants to take on the role to have a chance to play on the biggest stage, but just the clear, like, we don't value this position. We can just get some guy off the street and get get us uh, enough carries to go win a ball game. You just wonder, like, if who's going to want to take on that role? Do you see more of a change to, to tight ends? We're already seeing that a little bit and, and embracing wide receivers, but uh, just how that position has just been so devalued. It's, it's kind of one of the fascinating things in the NFL, just how that position just is so out of sight and out of right. mind and no one gets drafted high anymore. Well, you think about it, these guys go in the league, they last maybe five years because they get yeah. beat up and run down. If you're that guy and you're that kind of an athlete, why don't you go play outside linebacker, yeah. play in the league for 10-plus years and make twice as much money? I mean, Fred Warner, for instance, look at his situation. I mean, would you want to be Fred Warner? Would you rather be Fred Warner in his situation right now? Or, say, Tyler Algier, who made the switch from linebacker to running back when he was in high school, in, in college at BYU. So it's it's weird how that's evolved and the game has evolved, but the running back position is no longer valued the way it used to be. All right, the NFL Draft Combine has taken, on, uh, taken place this week in Indianapolis. The big prospects will be there, but Caleb Williams, Jaden Daniels, not going to throw at the NFL scouting combine. Does it really matter? I think it it doesn't matter because it just seems like teams know for almost years in advance they're ready to anoint someone as the next big thing, and Caleb Williams has been anointed as that guy. Jaden Daniels, to me, is a little bit more surprising where I felt like there could have been some value there. I, maybe I'm just not as... 
I know he was the Heisman winner, and he was really good last year at LSU. He was he was outstanding, but I still kind of have my questions and doubts on oh, him. Yeah. Caleb Williams, though, I think just the headaches that he comes with. It's it's like the guy is acting like the NFL's version of LeBron, and you haven't achieved anything yet in this league, trying to manipulate the, the moves. And I know we've seen guys in the past like Eli Manning say, I'm not going to play in San Diego. I got to go somewhere else. I, I get that. You want to be in the best spot possible to succeed, but... Uh, you know, Caleb Williams, you, you just led a USC team that has every resource known to man, and you were 7-5 and five in a complete afterthought in the Pac-12, and you're supposed to be this great brand, USC, and they just went nosedived, and you also have a loss to Tulane on your resume. So I, I just think that, you know, I, I still think Caleb Williams is going to be big time in the NFL, but... Daniels, to me, is where there's more puzzling questions. I think he could have, had he competed, maybe there could have been a case where he's going to push to get, you know, be that number one quarterback next to Caleb Williams. Yeah. You know what, though? It is an opportunity for somebody like J.J. McCarthy, whose stock is rising, who many question. You know, he's at Michigan. They ran the ball a lot. Very pro style. Can he go out there and sling the ball down the field? He's going to get a chance to prove that. He's going to throw at the combine. So he has a chance for his stock to rise. While I would like these guys to throw, I get why they don't, because yeah. Caleb Williams is locked in at number one. Drake May is probably number two. Jaden Daniels is number three. Why go there and do anything that would hurt that? When you can't improve, you can't get any higher than that. They're locked in, so I get why they're not doing it. Heck, coaches aren't even going to the combine anymore, <laughs> right? So what would he do? You almost wonder if these players even should have wasted their time playing college football last year. We saw years ago, you know, Jamar Chase didn't play in the COVID year, and he's one of the best, you know, he's one of the best receivers in college football. Penny Sewell did the same thing. It's like, it's almost becoming where, why even bother? Because in college football and then go to this combine, because for years we've just heard since Caleb Williams stepped into that Red River game against Texas, well, it's going to be the number one pick. And right. that's just what it's been. Yeah. And nothing's been changed to derail that narrative. And that's what it is. And so these executives and scouts, they have that set in their mind. So, yeah, it is smart by that, those individual camps to to, to avoid competing yep. in the combine and to, to prevent any sort of fall. Because when you're that big of a prospect, every little thing will be analyzed to where a slight wrong foot angle. Like, I love the combine-isms. I love, like, the Mike Mayox. He's got the dancing bear technique. He's a phone booth brawler. Like, I love all that stuff injected in the veins, but I get it for these guys to not want yeah, to deal with it. Exactly. Now, the scouting combine might be a little overrated. Uh, we'll find out if Jim Harbaugh is overrated. Headed to the Chargers. We've talked a lot about the AFC West here, but it's a loaded division. And it gets even better with Jim Harbaugh in it. At least so we think. Well, Joey Bosa thinks so. Uh, apparently had a great first impression with Jim Harbaugh. Uh, and he expects that uh, Harbaugh will change the Chargers' fortune. Is he right or wrong? I think he's 100% right. I mean, yeah. Jim Harbaugh steps into a building, and it's like Tom Brady, where it's just an instant culture changer the moment he arrives. And that's what Harbaugh does, even when he's a... Uh, at a place like San Diego Toreros, like right. before his days when he was in the NFL. This guy just wins everywhere, and it's unconventional. And his unconventional methods, I almost think, work better in the NFL where it's just focused on schemes and not dealing with fundraising for NIL. He can just be that weirdo that's focusing on and on game plans, and that works. And, and I think that, you know, he's someone that's got a proven track record where he brings instant credibility. Like, he's turned every quarterback he's worked with and made him something pretty special. And so I think that he's going to be really good for the Chargers. So, yeah, I think Bosa's right. Like Harbaugh was a home run hire for, for them, and I think they're going to be the team that's next in line. If they're going to maybe be someone to contend with the Chiefs, it's 
it's the Chargers because simply of Harbaugh's arrival. I hate to say it as a Broncos fan, but I love the hire for the yeah. Chargers. I think they were one great head coach away from really taking it to the next level. I think Justin Herbert is elite. I think if they can keep Eckler or they can find a, a similar running back, maybe they sign Barkley. And they've got guys that, I mean, Keenan Allen is one of the best. So that team's loaded with talent. They just need the coaching. And normally I would pay, like, you know what, a college coach going to the NFL? Come on now. But Jim Harbaugh's already proven. Oh, yeah. He's been to a Super Bowl in the NFL. He's won in the NFL at a high level. I think it's going to be a success. Well, and all those just close calls. Like the, You think about close games and falling on the losing side of them. It's yeah. the Chargers the last five years. I mean, a couple years ago when they're facing the Raiders and everyone was hoping for that tie game in Week 18, you know, they, they always just come up short. That's just what they do. And I think Harbaugh is good enough for you know, three points in a given game where he can be the difference in winning these close calls that the Chargers have been linked to so many times. And I just think he'll be outstanding for them. I, it's it, You're right. It's a home run higher, and it's bad for, for our teams in the AFC yeah. West because just another hurdle to face in, in already a loaded division. Well, that is the NFL Blitz. We've got to take a short break here on JJ and Alex. Coming up next, one of the best sports comedy things i've seen in quite some time it's in our best and worst it's coming up next jj and alex 97.5 the ksl sports zone (laughs) wrapping up the hour with our picks for the best and worst moments on today's show as jj and alex want to hear your best and worst of the day Time for best and worst, JJ and Alex, Jeremiah Jensen, Mitch Harper in for Alex Curie today. We've had a f- lot of fun today. We're going to have some fun right now. You know, sometimes, Mitch, it's always fun when sports and other things intersect. And when sports and comedy intersect, it can be great. <laughs> and it, w- it often is on Saturday Night Live. You know, obviously, that's a place where they have some hits and misses. But there's been some great hits over the years when it comes to sports. Remember the Peyton Manning sketch oh, when yes. he was playing uh, – <laughs> flag football with the kids and you know there's been some great sports moments on SNL I feel like there was one this week Shane Gillis who's one of the top stand-ups in the game right now he hosted SNL this weekend and they put together a great sketch mocking the betting sites right <laughs> I'm not going to mention any yeah. names they don't pay us any money you watched them during the games you all know what they are and they have that little warning there that says if you have a gambling problem so 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 well they took aim at that and here is that SNL skit this weekend, it is our best. It is Rock Bottom Kings. We all know a friend who struggles with online gambling. A friend who's on the verge of losing everything. His house, his family, his entire life. And now you can bet on exactly how he'll lose it all with Rock Bottom Kings. It's the only app that lets you take prop bets about how your degenerate gambler friend is finally going to hit rock bottom. Will it be goes double or nothing on a random WNBA game? Or bets his child's college fund on the coin toss? And when your friend is desperate for cash, you can bet on what his lowest moments will be. Will he take out a life insurance policy on his own mother? Will he set up a fake GoFundMe that says he has leukemia? And what will he sell first? His PS5 or his kidney? And you can build a parlay about everything that could happen to him. Divorce, Mary's rich old widow, arrested for elder fraud, and fakes his own death, but is immediately caught when he uses an app to gamble. With Rock Bottom Kings, you'll feel like you're in the game. The game of your friend versus his horrible demons. But again, addiction is a real problem. And we take it very seriously. That's why all these gambling ads are full of cash, gold, fireworks, and flames exploding everywhere. Because you're not a loser. Your friend is. They say the house always wins. Well, now you're the house, and your friend is probably going to lose his. Does it seem a little cruel to bet on your friend's devastating addiction? Sure, 
but it's also hilarious. So however your friend bottoms out, make sure you cash out at Rock Bottom Kings. Download Rock Bottom Kings today because gambling is serious. Seriously awesome. Rock Bottom Kings. He's the one with the problem. <laughs> I think rock bottom is when you fake your own death, but you get caught because you were you were using a gambling app after your supposed death. That was my favorite one. Oh, so many great lines in there. Uh, Mitch, we could have done this on Would You Rather. Would you rather give up your PS5 or your kidney? <laughs> I'm giving up the kidney <laughs> because College Sports 25 is coming out. I, I got to have that PS5, baby. You're not missing that. There's no chance. <laughs> the content that's coming from that in the doldrums of summer. Thank you. Oh, no. I need that PS5, baby. How else are you going to get ready for the 2024 <laughs> college football season? No way you're giving up that PS5. Not a chance. Well, hopefully you don't have to marry a widow to uh, a rich widow <laughs> to support your gambling is, is some of that rock bottom stuff yeah. i bet it's actually happened oh I'm you know sure it has some of that has truly <laughs> happened out there and there's been some rock bottom moments <laughs> oh take another life insurance policy <laughs> on your mom to pay for your Ooh, gambling debts okay geez. uh that was the best <laughs> that let's, was funny let's talk about the worst mitch um i wouldn't do any of those things uh but this up man this is terrible like, what are we doing here? He throws a kid out of a game for a bat toss <laughs> on a game-tying Grand Slam? Yeah, I saw this, and maybe I need to just hit up our fine folks, at our friends at Big League Utah, to understand what's the what's the <laughs> wrong thing about the bat toss? Why is that so sacrilegious in baseball that that's not allowed? Like, I, I don't get it. Like, why why can't someone have a little bit of personality with that bat toss? Why, why this ump? Getting a little bit too old school and throwing out kids. Come on, just have some fun. Let them enjoy it. Like, baseball is being hit for being boring and <laughs> traditional. Like, this new generation doesn't get baseball, and all of us old folks can complain about that. Like, shut up. Like, you know, stop. But the fact is, the game needs young people to fall yes. in love with it. And if some of this stuff is what keeps their interest in it, you have to embrace it. You may not like that. Like, but you know what? If the young people like it, they like the swag, they like the drip, they like the bat tossing, you know what? Just let it go. Ride with it because we need a new generation of baseball players. Otherwise, this game is going to die on the vine. If we need a, you know, someone to be in the box and, and do a TikTok, TikTok dance, let him do it. <laughs> Nobody loves you like I do. Oh, no. <laughs> Okay, let's. That's probably going a little too far. We're not going to stop the game. It's the hype house here at the. We're not going to stop stacks. the game. Oh Bigger yeah, Utah in the power district. <laughs> we got the power. Making TikToks. Let's not do that. Yeah, well, let's. I'm sorry. We got to draw that the line far. somewhere. Okay, eject you, me from that now, guys. You are throw me out. You are You're out. out of here. You are out of here, Mitch. You are done today. You're not coming back tomorrow because you're going to be in Kansas tomorrow. <laughs> yes, I am. Which is crazy. Have fun at uh, Kansas. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, let's let's not cross the line here. Let's not do TikToks <laughs> during a game. Or let's stick with the bat flips and stuff like that. Let's not do the, the crazy Fair TikTok enough. stuff. Keep it in the dugout at least, right? Okay. All right, Mitch, that was fun. Have fun in Kansas uh, tomorrow. We'll what a do. great opportunity. You. Very cool. You're going to go to one of the most storied uh, college basketball venues in the country what a great experience and i just can't it's just so cool whether you're a byu fan or not to look at that program and see that they're in this position now where they get to play in places like kansas in league it's just awesome yeah it, to be in a league with bill self and he's talking about you know byu and think that this is a league game this is 
No longer Firestone Fieldhouse. This is <laughs> Allen Fieldhouse. And You're not playing in high school gyms anymore. <laughs> BYU's been dreaming of this moment, and let's see how they fare. I mean, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how they perform in that game, but nonetheless, I mean, it should be just pretty cool to see you know that brand of Kansas going up against BYU, and it's going to be an annual thing. That's that's pretty neat for BYU. Yeah. BYU, you're not in Malibu anymore, Toto. <laughs> there you go. All right, we got to take a break. More on JJ and Alex coming up. 97.5 the KSL Sports Zone. Accessing when TV and radio collide. Love it. Wow. This is what you get. You're listening to JJ and Alex, presented by G2G Bars. Don't touch that dial. On 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Wrapping up another edition of JJ and Alex, Jeremiah Jensen, Mitch Harper in for Alex Curie today. Mitch, it's been a blast. We've had a lot of fun talking about a number of different topics all over the gamut of sports, and we're going to continue that right now. As you may know, We've kind of become, uh, we've adopted the Oakland A's, <laughs> soon to be Las Vegas A's, because there is a potential for them to spend three years here in Utah, as we know. So in 2025, 26, and 27, they need to find a place to, to play. And they're a little homeless right now because their stadium in Vegas, if it ever gets built at all, uh, won't be ready until 2028. Now, we don't have an update on that situation. But we do have an update on the situation in Vegas as it's getting more and more tricky. As you know, uh, this situation with the A's has been messy. Their departure from Oakland has been messy. Their arrival in Vegas has been messy. And they haven't even arrived yet. So, not sure what's going on, but they have yet to secure their part of the stadium financing. Meaning they don't have the money to build the stadium. That's not talked about enough, even though they have they have $380 million in public funding and they don't have money to build the stadium. Okay. Uh, several deadlines to release ballpark renderings have been missed. That's right. They haven't even released the ballpark renderings. Like, Big League Utah is farther ahead than John Fisher and the A's on their move to Vegas. How about that? Even Portland has their gondola. <laughs> They're further ahead than the A's. Uh, look, the A's are eventually going to land in Las Vegas. Rob Manfred wants it to happen. They're going to make it happen. But my goodness, the incompetence of the Oakland A's is unbelievable. And now it's getting even worse in Vegas, at least the perception in the community. The Nevada State Education Association is trying to block funding. Now, that should come as no surprise because who whines about not getting enough tax dollars more? Like, sorry, I said whine. I don't want to insult anybody that's in the education who says more about not getting enough right. funding? Well, it's education, and for good reason, right? We need to fund education better. I'm not opposed to that. They're opposed to this. That's not a surprise is my point. Obviously, they like to see those tax dollars being sent their way. That's that's what they want. But it's just interesting that more and more support in Vegas is swinging away from the A's. This is such a weird situation for the A's and for Major League Baseball. It is, and... To have a market that just seems like they do, they do not want you at all. Whereas, <laughs> weird. Whereas Salt Lake would love you and be ready just for three years. Be ready just for three years. Three then years and then some if you want it. As soon as the three years is up, get out. We want our own expansion <laughs> team. 
B today's, but for three years you can come here because we're that the desperate A's permanently. for baseball. I'd take the permanently. U- yeah, Utah A's, Salt Lake A's. I'd take that. You want to take on a franchise that's never going to win anything of significance? They're yeah. going to tease you that they can, yeah, and then true. you're going to give them away because they incompetence the true. organization. That's true. You but for three years, we, we'd love that. Uh, but Why yeah. not? Because we get the Yankees in town, we get the Red Sox <laughs> in town, we get the Dodgers in town, we get the Angels in town. But this is a mess, and you just wonder. You know, it is frustrating whenever these relocation moves happen. You feel like you'd have every T crossed, I mm. dotted, the, because once you get to a point where, hey, we're moving to, to Vegas, the the sphere has the A's logo on it. Like, it's done. It's all tied up and everything's set. And clearly there was nothing ready. And how do you as a franchise that's worth billions, because that's what sports franchises are worth these days, how do you have nothing to your name? It just it blows me away how these own, these ownership groups, some of these teams have nothing. It, it's just the A's have nothing. They have to rely on everything on the public to to lift them up. And it's it's interesting to see this blowback coming from uh, Nevada's education board because, like, I, I get it, three hundred eighty million dollars because that population seems like they're getting flooded. I mean, almost too many sports, honestly, from nothing to now. And having to pay for it with their tax money. I get it. Yeah. And that that market, too, has gotten so expensive ever since that hotel tax with the Raiders. It is is a way more expensive place than what it was five years ago when I started, you know, doing this job and going down to Vegas for the, you know, conference tournaments. Hotels now, it's like at a minimum, $250 a night at least, and then the resort fee. And then it's just there's so much money that's uh, it's costing people that live there and then visitors as well. Rooms aren't cheap there. Things are weird there. But it's more to do with the A's, in my opinion. They were 50 and 112 last season. Yeah. Horrific. And they're poorly run. And they're having problems out of their own choices. This is They're doing this to themselves. Oakland's tired of them. Vegas doesn't want them. Bring them here to Salt Lake, but just for three years. <laughs> fair. That's right. fair. Mitch has been fun. It's been a great time. Have a blast. Have fun at uh, Kansas. Can't Thank wait you. for your coverage. On uh, Tuesday night as the uh, BYU Cougars make their way to Allen Fieldhouse to take on the Kansas Jayhawks. That's JJ and Alex, 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone.